Hello and welcome to This Decade in Wrestling, podcast where we're going to do pretty much what it says on the tin and look back through this decade in wrestling. Don't get much more simple than that. And joining me today is Carl Pierce. How are you doing, Carl? Hello, Sean. Hello, everybody. Yeah. And Scott McLeod. How are you doing? I'm doing good, Sean. It's nice that we get to talk about some good wrestling, uh, despite the last time we were recording a podcast together. <laughs> yeah, the last the last show we reviewed was so good it inspired me to do this one. So I hope you didn't mind joining me again. Yeah, yeah at least it wasn't all in vain. Yeah. So I mean, yeah. So we'll just get straight into it, I guess. If we just go over some general highlights of the decade, just as a sort of icebreaker, what's some things you guys have enjoyed? Uh, the emergence um, of all elite wrestling is. Something I've enjoyed. Uh, nice to have a different promotion, get off the ground, and uh, give WWE something to think about. Maybe not challenge them as of yet, but certainly um, give everyone more options, fans and talent. That's definitely been a highlight. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's um, it's been good as well, which is one thing. I think that's pretty remarkable how good it's been, considering it's just... It's just got off the ground this year. Mm. I'm really like I'm looking forward to going back on some of these things because for me a lot of them are still fairly fresh because I got back into wrestling after a wee break at the end of 2009, so right before this like decade started. I'd stopped watching in 2007 for no particular reason. I just stopped one day, and then. Yeah. Got back into it and it had its claws in it and I just didn't get watching since. And one thing that was good for me was I thought about putting it in one of my like my categories, but I thought no, I'd just be taking the piss with that. But as much as I enjoyed it, but two things that I enjoyed was because Key is my favourite wrestler. Getting back into wrestling just before he wins the world heavyweight title was a particular highlight for me. And then seeing his partnership with Daniel Bryan, I think is a Tag team. If you look back at the best tag team, I think some people might forget how good Team Hell No were. Uh, team Hell No were excellent. Yeah, I, never I, great. Up to you, sir, Carl. Sorry, as I was say, I, I caught the tail end of Team though, and yeah, I've, I've, I've always been a fan of Kane, and uh, that team was good fun. Did Did Team Hell No have that spot in the Royal Rumble that I really liked? Where I think it was Brian eliminated Kane, and then someone shook Brian up, but Kane caught him. And then yeah. Brian's just shouting, I'm like, no, put me back in the ring, put me back in the ring. Yes. And then Kane's yes. shouting, no, and Brian's shouting yes, and, you know, comedy hijinks ensue, but... <laughs> yeah. It's pretty good. I mean, who would and have known as... Kane would have been a comedy genius? <laughs> yeah, this is the thing, I mean, this is one thing, I guess, this is another thing that happened this decade, it was a particular highlight, but some of the corporate Kane stuff was all right. <laughs> I thought, anyway. Like, there was one bit he was doing with Rollins that I enjoyed when he, like, he was just pretending to be all right, but then mm-hmm. he was just attacking Seth, and then Seth was like, why are you all ignoring him? He's, like, attacking me. And it was like, yeah, it's Kane, he's fine, we all love Kane. We all forgot about that time he, like, set people on fire and stuff like that. He's <laughs> fine. He's little mug that says, uh, world's best director of operations or something like that. Yeah. He was basically sending himself up, which uh, you can never not like. Yeah. Willing to try stuff, I guess, which is always a credit, even if it doesn't necessarily pan out. I think. And now he's a man. 
So And still the best debut in wrestling history in my book. Yeah, I would agree. Yeah, 100%. A lot of people say Jericho, but even Jericho doesn't look back on his debut the most fondly. Nah, if you like, if you debut by ripping like ripping the ripping the hell in the cell door off and then dropping the baddest, you know, the kayfabe baddest, well, and the probably the legitimate baddest guy in the company at that point, mm-hmm. you know, you can't really yeah. ask for much more than that, can you? And Vince yeah. McMahon selling it with "That's gonna be, that's gonna be Kane." It was just done so perfectly. Excellent. But that didn't happen this decade, so it didn't happen as far as I can see. I think in terms of positives, another thing I think this decade will be more important for hopefully is like the development of women's wrestling. But also at the same time, yeah, it'll be negatively thought of, I think, because of well, like stuff like the Saudi Arabia stuff, unless they, in the next decade going forward with their duty, they look to do more stuff like they did at this most recent one with getting women on the show then hopefully can change people's perspective on that. Yeah, I'm interested to see if that uh, that match they had at uh, the last idea event will be a one and done, or if they'll uh, try and get more matches or another match. You know, well, we've done it now. That, that that's it for another five years, or they'll press to to have another women's match. I mean, there's. As much as I'm not in the WWE at the moment, which is ironic considering this podcast, but like as much as I'm not into them at the moment, I was quite surprised by that. I didn't think that would happen. So I guess I gave them props for that. Who, who was it again? Was it Natalia and Lacey Evans? Yeah. Christ, of all the people. No disrespect to Natalia. I think, I think they got Nathan on the booking team. I think that's what happened. Yeah, well, it must be. Like Nathan, what would you get get you to watch one of these Saudi shows? Uh, more Lacey Evans. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Just put Jinder on there next time. And... <laughs> yeah, Jinder wins the next Greatest Royal Rumble. Jesus Christ! <laughs> that sounds an excellent idea. I'll put the birds in the seat. There you go. We've seen General Hall debut in this decade. Who would have thought? Oh yeah, in, that's in the true. same decade. That... He would win the WWE Championship. Yeah. Jeez, yeah. That's like, that's like something you would mad lib or something if you were doing a ridiculous prediction for like, for like this decade at the start. Oh, of like the... You've you've ruined my moment of the decade already. Now, great. Great. cheers, lads. <laughs> Thanks for that. Yeah. <laughs> if we were doing like most horrifying moment, then that would definitely be mine. <laughs> I mean, no disrespect to the guy himself. He's got, like, you know, he's got good crack and he seems to have, you know, a bit banter about him and that, but he's just, come on. (laughs) Come on. (laughs) But yeah, so anyway, I guess if we're getting into it, we basically picked some categories. So we've got, like, promotion, promo, male wrestler, female wrestler, etc. And we're just going to tell you which we thought was the best in each of those categories. And just as a full disclaimer before we start, we're not in any way pretending that we've picked these in like any form of metric. It's not best reviewed. It's not best selling. It's not best matches. It's just what we as fans personally connected with and enjoyed this decade. And so yeah. if you listen to this thinking they don't know what they're talking about, I'd be like, yeah, you're right. So, 
Yeah, it's all subjective uh, according to our own enjoyment, really, more than more than anything. Yeah. yeah. And there will be parts where, like, I, don't know, I stopped watching wrestling for a year in 2014, so I'm not really going to mention anything like, say, the Daniel Bryan, uh, the Daniel Bryan story at WrestleMania or the Shield breaking up because I feel like it would be disingenuous because even as much as I've looked back and, and appreciate that it's good, I don't have that, like, connection of watching it at the time. Yeah. It's only when we really started looking back for these categories, I realised, like, something I should have realised there that a lot can happen in a decade, and I realised just how much and just the way we alone happened this year, in this last decade, and yet, just not even considering, like, the rise of the Indies and all the other stuff happening outside of it. Yeah. It's almost like 10 years is a long time. I know. Yeah. I thought. <laughs> Crazy, huh? I guess just to give it an easy one to go in with, let's start with show. Come on, Nicole, give us your show of the year, decade even. You say easy one. This is the one I have most trouble deciding on, actually. And I'll go on a bit of a tangent in the story. I was going to go with WrestleMania 30, but going back and looking at the show, I realised... It wasn't really a proper women's match, um, just a battle royal thing that I didn't really enjoy. The tag team championships weren't even defended on the show. Um, uh, a couple of matches arguably had the wrong outcome. Uh, Wyatt and Cena definitely. Yes. <laughs> wasn't a particularly great match in my book. Also, a lot of people don't like the outcome of Undertaker Brock. I liked it. I still like it. Uh, it would have been more if it was Undertaker's last match, which I think was initially the plan. But because he carried on, perhaps perhaps he shouldn't have lost. But again, because of his concussion, that match. Um, I still enjoy it, but it, it it it's not as good as it could have been. So yeah, when you compare it to say that SummerSlam or Hell in a Cell yeah, match, exactly. So I'll push that to to the side. Um, when I was looking for my um, match of the decade, I also found my show of the decade, uh, which is for me Takeover Philadelphia. Uh, I think it, I think it kicked off with a really good tag match between Undisputed Era and um, the Office of Pain. I mean, Undisputed Era seemed to have carved out a great niche for themselves in opening pay per views with their uh, hot. Tag matches. That's true, actually. I've never noticed that, but now pointed it out. They do seem to be. You know, well, the next team often opens with uh, tag matches. To be fair, doesn't it? Like the takeovers. I remember like American Alpha versus Revival and stuff like that back mm. when I used to watch the takeovers. And... Yeah, I mean, I got to take uh, NXT relatively late two thousand and late two thousand sixteen, I think it was. Um, but yeah, so. I've, it's an enjoyable match. The the smaller undisputed era chopping down the the much bigger AOP and perhaps getting the shock win in the end. Um, it had for me um, a hot women's match between babyface Ember Moon and Shayna Baszler, who was sort of bullied her way into the championship picture uh, by kicking the bejesus out of. <laughs> All the women on the roster until Ember Moon said, "Right, I've had enough." Um, Ember Moon, God, I miss seeing I mean, her. She's, like, actual yeah, good she's never really 
collect on the main roster. She's someone who's been away. I wouldn't mind seeing her coming back onto NXT, actually. Uh, where yeah, she, she can really show, you know, really show what she can do. I mean, her Eclipse is an awesome move. Just, uh, a spine's not going to thank her for it when she's older, like, but <laughs> it is a great move. Yeah, she have a bad like, Hulk Hogan by the time she's in, like, 10 years. Yeah, the spine of it. But it is a great move. There's no mm-hmm. denying that. Did she come up with that batch of NXT call-ups who just sort of didn't go anywhere? I think she was before that. Yeah, no, she sort of came up as one of the like post-mania ones at, 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 at some point. She lost the belt. She eventually lost the strap to Shayna and just sort of came up what felt like natural progression. But they, I don't know if it's a character or what it is, but they just didn't really seem to know what to do with her, did they? No, no. She also had some injuries as well. And then so. she had that chance at SummerSlam against Bailey, and that match, that match never seemed to really click somehow. I thought, you know, I thought that was going to be a much better match than it ended up being. Yeah, sometimes but Bailey can anyway, be a bit hit, hit miss a film, but sorry, yes, go on. Back to the back to the match at hand. Um, I thought it's a good. I thought it's a really good match with uh, Shane eventually uh, working on um, Ember's arm and. Uh, kept going for the cross arm breaker which created some real drama as um ember you know had only just won the title the previous takeover so she hadn't been champion long and you thought oh god you know they're not going to take it off her now and she's trapped in this arm bar for such a long time and you think she you know she she wiggled out of it a couple of times and got to the ropes but shana would kept slapping her back into it and eventually she managed to win by sort of Almost folding Shayna up into a into a pin. You, you, you sort of need to watch the match to really understand what I mean. But yeah, she sort of got away with the with the title. I thought, you know, I thought it, it was quite a dramatic, quite a dramatic and uh, and good match. And then next up, yeah, you had Velveteen Dream versus Cassius Ono, and this is one of the first sort of instances you really saw the sort of showmanship of Velveteen Dream as he promised to. Knock Cassius Ono out in in a minute, and he came out in like boxing shorts, and you saw one of his first sort of proper over the top entrances. I mean, we all knew after the Alistair Black uh, feud and match that we had a star, but this really sort of you know sold it. You know, the, you know this this was you know the real this gave sort him that of shot, yeah. in a sense, yeah. And you know, it was so, a, yeah. I guess this so this was pre the Alistair Black match, so I'm not gonna lie, all the tickets no, no, kind of blend together. It was, for after, me. it was after Alistair Black, but you know, we knew he was a star after that feud. But this was when he really, you know, he had the first sort of you know, came out in a slightly different attire and a bit more pizzazz to his entrance. And um, yeah, you know, he really you could really feel the confidence in in Velveteen Dream in this match and entrance. And yeah, he didn't win in a minute, like he said, but he did win, and it was a fun match. And you also um, had a really great hardcore match between um, Alistair Black and Adam Cole. I mean, everything Adam Cole touches turns to gold. Alistair Black's a great competitor. He has some really good spots in the match. I don't want to drone on too long, but yeah. And then... um, Spoil spoiler here. Uh, we'll come back to this match after, but 
one of the best matches of the decade. Um, Johnny Gargano versus uh, Cian Andre Almas. Great match. That is one of the best um, matches of the decade. Well, I'll give you that. Spoiler, we'll come back to that a bit later on. So there you go. That's why that's my pay-per-view of the decade. And some strong choices in there. Again, particularly that last match, I'd forgotten that was the main event of that one. Because like I said, the takeovers kind of all blur together for me. In a sense. Not because they're bad, but probably because of the opposite, actually, because they're all great. It's hard to distinguish which one was which. But yeah, some good choices. How about yourself, Scott? Uh, I was quite nervous when Carl started saying like, NXT takeover that because mine's is also a takeover, but thankfully we've not picked the same one. Because <laughs> that's <I've>, okay, that. <laughs> yeah. that should, I should point that out as well. We don't we don't know each other's picks by like two, I think, and I've forgotten those. I'm not gonna lie. <laughs> so if we've picked the same on a couple, well, but sorry, Scott. I mean, there's some overlap with mine's because my favorite match of the decade is also in this show. Mine's is the following takeover: NXT takeover New Orleans. From WrestleMania 34 weekend, uh, a great show. It opens up with that fantastic six-man ladder match for the to crown the first ever North American champion. You had the debuts of EC3 and Ricochet in that match. You had Ricochet get pushed off a ladder and then doing a backflip to the outside in mid motion. You had basically Marl losing his shit on contrary with every big spot. This was this was the show that birthed the Mamiya chance, I believe. Uh, yet a follow-on from what happened at the last thing where that Carl mentioned with, between Basler and Ember Moon, where Moon felt sorry, Basler felt that Basler felt that Moon had kind of escaped the last match rather than just fairly beat her, so basically tormented her for the next couple of months until she gave her a rematch, and then he got here, and then I think naturally Basler took the belt, and we've seen how great she's been a champion since in both of her reigns. You had the, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, the shot. Should put that out. Carl indoors. She in a beer, don't you? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I can see why, but the the shock of Roderick Strong turning and joining the undisputed era because I I legit don't see it coming. I don't think a lot of people did, judging oh. by the reaction at the time. Yeah, agreed. Was, I forgot um, about he... that. I forgot about that turn actually. Good call, Scott. Yeah, yeah. that that was great. Uh, tag match with Pete Dunne, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. It was him and Pete Dunne versus AOP versus it was Cole representing the Spirit Error and because Fisher got injured and Cole was, had like his, wrist, his ribs taped I think because he competed and won the, the North American title the, earlier in the night. Yeah, he went from that ladder match to that. I mean, fair play to Adam Cole. This is what yeah. I mean. He's so Cold good. Duty. I imagine he took the back seat in that tag match, but even still, that's still very impressive. Yeah, I mean O'Reilly, I think did a lot of the work for the Intruder, but to be fair, he's like one of the best, like in terms of selling, especially as O'Reilly in that team. Especially the way he sells, like his reaction, he's seen Roderick Strong pick up the armband and put it on at the end, and like cause I was convinced Strong and Dunn were going to win because WWE has this like thing of putting two random singles competitors together who at one point may have had an issue, and then forcing them together, and then they'll randomly win the tag titles for no reason. So yes. they were going to win, and then just as soon as he attacked Dunn, like, a lot of people were stunned because they'd done the whole tease of Roderick being a Twitter, but then he turned them down and fought against them and working. So I was convinced, okay, so he's not going to join Undisputed and then, oh, so he is. And I think from there, I think Undisputed went 
from strength to strength because then they became four and three, and they became even more dominant since then. Uh, and of course, far down the line, they let them do that. Um, I haven't been watching too much NXT recently, but it let them, it's the it's the prophecy thing, isn't it? Adam Cole's prophecy, where he, yeah, where, like they won all the gold, all the gold they can win. Obviously, the common women's title, but <laughs> and, yeah, yeah, yeah. The NXT title match, which I think was in a weird position, we had Alistair Black challenging Almas, but at least it did have the highlight at the end where Selena Vega, who was always interfering and always helping Almas win, but on this occasion it backfired. She went to dive on Black. He moves. Almas catches her, but then turns around as he's still holding Vega. Black hits him with the Black Mass, and yeah. I think it was a really good finish. Yeah, that's a good probably. Match. I felt, I felt so. I felt a bit sorry for Black because his his whole NXT title really kind of had to take a bit of a backseat to uh, Gargano and Kichiampa, which I can see. You know, I can see why and. You could say rightly so, but um, as the champion, should be the main deal, and he, he it, it seemed to mar his reign a little bit, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Mm. But I mean, that I'll say is that that's probably my favorite Alistair Black match. I'll say that of the ones I've seen. Yeah, think, mainly because I really like Zelina Vega and um, <laughs> Almas when they're on. Who form. doesn't? <laughs> well, <laughs> I wasn't saying that, Cole. Get your mind out of the gutter. <laughs> but, but yeah, for me, then, yeah, I think they're a great act together. For me and also the main event, I'll talk to. I'll talk about when we get to our favorite match. But yeah, I think the main event is like one of the things I remember most fondly, other than also the ladder match because of how insane that was, and also the ladder match had the right winner with Cole winning because if it didn't look like he was going to win the XT title at that point. He needed a title to really help the Undisputed Era. So it was the right choice to have Cole win the North American title. But I'll talk about the, the main event when we come to match of the decade. So me and Scott have sort of done the same thing. We've picked, mm-hmm. we've picked paper, our favourite pay-per-views with uh, our favourite matches. But didn't didn't that ladder match get a five-star rating from uh, Meltzer? Yeah, that Did. and the main event both yeah. got five stars. I mean, yeah, you can't really argue that. Chose a show, really, can you? <laughs> Two five-star matches. I think as well, um, Ricochet is the first guy to debut in WWE with a five-star match, of being part of a five-star match, because I think that was Ricochet's debut. And EC3, I think, we kind of re-debuted as EC3 rather than uh, Derek Bateman that he was before. Yes, I think he might have had a match on NXT prior as well as EC3, but regardless, it's a great match and a great show, either way. Mm. So, for mine, uh, I did also consider a takeover. Mine would have been Dallas, uh, which had like American Alpha versus Revival, which is one of my favorite tag matches. It had Nakamura versus uh, Sami Zayn, which, if you've forgotten about that match, Jesus Christ, go back and watch it. If you watch that match and then look at Nakamura now and Sami Zayn for that matter, it's just it's just beggars belief. Like I said, it's one of those things where you look back on this decade, there's so much good stuff of it every now and then you think, oh god, how could I ever forget this thing that was so good but it's just so much yeah. happened. It's a bit like fighting the Hydra, isn't it? You know, you cut off one head and then two more come <laughs> up. And... Yeah. Weird way of putting it, but yeah. But the show I've went for is All In. Mm. Uh, I know, and again, again, objectively, I know there are better shows. There are a hand, probably, well, not a handful, probably a good deal of New Japan shows. And a good deal of takeovers, and probably even some WWE ones. 
but I'm a big believer in that mentality of the wrestling buffet. Mm-hmm. So you, you know you have like your comedy match and you match with a story like with Cody and uh, Nick Aldis, which is fantastic match. And then you've got you know your spot field match in the main event and you know all those things came together. You had a women's match as well, which maybe didn't give as much time as it deserved, but it, it's just a show I really liked. Uh, obviously, picture the Cody match in particular. Uh, the build up for the NWA story was great. And it's probably the only thing AEW's done that I've massively disagreed with recently. When they had Cody saying, oh, I'm going to try and win my first world title. And it's like, did you not forget about that mint story you had with Nick Aldis for the NWA world title? Even then, like, he won the Ring of Honor title, and that's a world title. So he's won two world titles. But yeah, there is that as well. <laughs> to be fair, that was great. When he had, was that, that was when he had the Ring of Honor, wasn't it? When he was yeah. making people kiss his ring in there. That was fantastic. They're being WWE already. If it didn't happen here, it didn't happen at all. Yeah, true. <laughs> I mean, true Cody, competition. Forgive Cody for forgetting. You know, he did take that massive chair shot a few months ago. Yeah, there is. That's true. He's just going to come back and cut the same promo again in like three months' time. <laughs> but yeah, uh, to be fair, not too much to say on mine compared to your two. I you're, forgetting, was... you're forgetting about the most important thing penis druids. <laughs> <laughs> I mentioned comedy. <laughs> yeah, I thought that was hilarious. To be fair, I really like that. It's probably the it's probably the best story Adam Page has been in so far that I've seen anyway. Um Yeah, I mean I thought he could be a star watching that, but then since it I don't know, he's not really clicked for me just yet somehow. Yeah, it's like Adam Page has got everything except it. Do you know what I mean? He just hasn't got it at the minute. And he's still quite young, to be fair, so he's got yeah. time. But I remember watching all in one of the things that stood to me weirdly was how good that battle royal was because I heard oh there's a battle royal on the the buy-in and I'm like all right battle royals are a bit nah for me but this battle royal we did the over the budget battle royal was so good because I think everybody had their moment like even Billy Gunn and his son had a moment yeah and the whole reveal of of, uh, Flip Gordon secretly being under a mask to finally get booked oh yes because that was a he was against Jay Lethal that night wasn't he yeah and then I remember they did a thing for being I think it was Cody on the monitor watching Flip win and goes, Well, I guess he's booked then. Because they were so <laughs> adamant against booking him. Yeah, wasn't uh wasn't that the Battle Royal Jordan Grace was in and uh, they let her shine in that as well, didn't they? So fair yeah. play to him. Hurricane was in it randomly as well. Yeah. Love the hurricane. <laughs> Who doesn't? But yeah, that's um that one's mine. I guess, keeping that one short and sweet. My match of the decade isn't on that one, so sorry to break the trend, guys. We just don't have that chemistry. Yeah. Letting you die, letting us die. I mean, it's one of those <laughs> things, like, if something's got your favorite, if show's got your favourite match of the decade on it, then it stands the reason that yeah. it's, it's in the running to be your favourite show of the decade, like, personally. Yeah, fair enough. My, to be fair, mine was, my show was definitely in the running. Um, yeah. I won't say which one, because the only match on, the only truly great memorable matches the only one I'd pick but, yeah and that's it's a bit like Wrestlemania 13 where the only good match was Hart versus Austin and, and the rest was it's, the yeah, it's one of the best <laughs> matches of all time good way of putting it yeah but then after that one I guess we'll move on to promotion mm-hmm. so good gotta love these natural transitions man <laughs> I think Scott, uh, go on. Oops, I think me and Scott are gonna be the same on this one to be honest 
I have a feeling. I counted down. I got on three. One, two, three. And that's two. Well, I'll let you have the floor, Scott. Yeah, because I legitimately asked before we heard what you can do promotion of the year. Does NXT count? Because, you know, it's under the Timmy Young fella and all that. But when you really think about it, going from at the start of the game being that reality show to then being like the new developmental brand taking over FCW and how much NXT's done over the last decade. Because I think one of the things I said about this decade being remembered for, I think it will be remembered for the rise of NXT because NXT is where the women's revolution started and they weren't trying to brand it as the one, they just did it. And like, I think like constantly, no matter what the main roster did, everybody talking about, I bet you see what happened at TakeOver, do you happen on NXT? And like, you look at the roster right now, at least 40, maybe even half of the main roster right now is all NXT guys, where they came from the Indies or they were homegrown. Yeah, and TakeOver's were constantly uh, outperforming. Um... The main roster pay-per-views, maybe not as in draw or money, but definitely from uh, the quality of product. Yeah, critical reception. Is... Has there ever been a pay-per-view that went on the same night as NXT that was regarded as better than the takeover that preceded it? Uh, I think there was one, uh, I can't remember off the top of it. I think it may have been either the Rumble or the Mania one this year because as good as it were, I think, I think especially Mania this year, was one of the few times where a mania was on par, not better than the takeover that preceded it. Yeah, and maybe yeah, Survivor Series, because War Games doesn't seem to be a lot of people's cup of tea. So uh, a lot of people might say they prefer Survivor Series to. You know, War, I'm, I'm uh, not a fan War of War Games. Games. I'll say that. I've um, I watched. I mean, admittedly, I only watched the first one they did, but I watched it and I just didn't enjoy it. So that's why. Nothing. Nothing against the town. I'm just not really a fan of the way they did the con- like the match concept. <laughs> But yeah. Uh, Anything you want to say on there? Um, pretty much what uh, what you cover. I think they constantly have the best matches. They seem to they seem to let everyone sort of use more or less their full arsenal. You notice when they go up to um, main roster, there might be moves they you know they you know they're not allowed to do, or they don't break out as often. Um, for whatever reasons, I'm sure they have their reasons. They sort of have to go through a sort of certain moves, setting a certain order on on main roster somehow, which they don't seem to be restricted to in in NXT. Um, I would say the only downside, which we won't have now, thanks to them going live on the USA Network, was the the post takeover shows because mm-hmm. it'd be pretty much 40 minutes of highlights and a, a couple of short matches. They were always a bit of a, a bit of a disappointment, but other than that, yeah, as Scott said about the women's revolution really starting there, and yeah, just constantly ha- having great matches. Well, one thing that'll be great now that's not taped is some idiot from the tapings won't tweet about something two weeks before it happens and spoil it for you. Like when I got the reveal of who attacked Alistair Black spoiled for me because somebody tweeted oh, about man. a picture of Gargano standing over Black. Ah. You know what? Hey, to be fair, that happens. that story, if I can just give, that's one of the best stories of the decade. That one with Nikki Cross. <laughs> yeah. Ah, yeah. <laughs> Was that I you against that? 
good. yeah, the one time I went on uh, social media had spoiled for me was when uh, Jinder beat Orton for the title, and I vowed never to make that mistake again because that pretty much spoiled the, the main event for me. It must have been true heartbreak when you found that one out. Joy. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, to be fair, one thing, I'd, if I can just mention something about NXT, it's not the one I picked personally, but it, it, it will definitely be my second. Uh, I mean, I think we've all agreed AEW is not on the run and just based on how little there's been. It's yeah. been great so far, but it's only been around for like a year, so can't really pick it. Um, I think as much as the women's revolution gets talked about, and rightly so, um, NXT in a way kind of kickstarted the tag team one as well, because for a long time in WWE, there wasn't really much in the way of tag teams. Yeah, but you know, I think like American Alpha and Revival, and uh, you know, even ones well before that, I'm sure, kind of kickstarted. And I mean, essentially, we're made interesting in NXT, and given what happened to them on the main roster, you know, that's well, they've just been released, haven't they? Yeah, 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 um, American Alpha didn't really click um, as well as you'd have liked on the main roster, they got a very short tag title run didn't they I think they, I mean, they even beat uh, Wyatt and Orton for them didn't they but uh, I don't know they, they just didn't really get long to develop did they unfortunately I think it's weird especially given what happened to the Ascension like they think still hold the record for the longest tag title reign in history like you would have thought at least someone like an undisputed era revival they would have had beat that record by now but no it's like they still look at it despite all this great tag wrestling we've talked about you see Who's still got the record? Ascension. You know, those guys that are always featured on the main event. And they're never gone. Yeah, I mean, I think it's better, it's better to say the NXT tag team titles are probably the ones that are traded the most. Not to say they're traded too much, but I, is that, is, is it, would you say that's fair as people who watch it more yeah, than Yeah, I think so. Yeah, and when you look at the women's uh, title, I'm surprised that there's only been a handful of women's champions compared to the to the other belts, probably because you've had uh, Shayna and Asuka have such long reigns, I suppose, helps with that. There's only been about seven champions or something in that area. Yep. And Asuka's NXT title reign, man. If we'd have, if we'd have done title reigns, which we haven't, I, would, I probably would have picked Asuka's. Loved it so much. But the promotion I've picked is New Japan. Ooh. Because I'm a smart no. <laughs> <laughs> they were on my shortlist. They they, they they are number two to NXT for me. Yeah. I just think um as much as I, I don't watch as much NXT um, not, as little NXT Freudian slip. I don't watch as much New Japan as I would like to. But I think every time they have a big show, they have at least one match of the year candidate, and I think that's been pretty consistent for the past three years, four years maybe. Yeah, and uh, they broke the wrestling Richter scale as Dave Meltzer's star ratings like several times. Uh, they broke the internet with several times with matches like Ricochet versus Will Ospreay. You know, love that match. I hate it. You can't deny it didn't get talked about. And I mean, that's pretty much my reasoning on them, really. Uh, they, yeah, they've just done a lot, and also as much as they were. You know, as much as AEW has come about as competition now, for a lot of fans, New Japan was the alternative uh, for a good chunk of this decade. Not necessarily a mainstream, quote marks, uh, Western audience, but to a lot of more, and again, I hate this term, but hardcore fans. Um, 
New Japan probably was that alternative and still is, I imagine, for a lot of people. Yeah, I think so. I think maybe less so because they've also got the option of AEW, but I think WWE has this whole philosophy of their hardcore fans in that, oh, we've got them anyway, like they're not really going to go anywhere. Whereas like, I think places like New Japan prove the opposite, like, no, actually, we're going to go watch this thing with like some Omega and Okada. And I think me personally, like, there were times where I was almost put off by it because of the whole expectation of like, oh, by the way, this is like got like six and seven stars. This is how can you not think this is the greatest match ever? Like, I thought it was good, but it's the whole idea yeah. of it being the greatest. Oh yeah, there's, there's total gatekeeping around it, and, and fuck gatekeeping while we're on the subject. <laughs> I certainly don't agree with that. Yeah, but, it marred my expectations. Sorry to cut in because um, I thought all matches were like these forty-minute um, war of attrition type things, but but they're not. They do do short. Most you know they're the they're the exceptions really these really long matches they, they you know most of their matches are pretty much within 15 20 minutes thankfully yeah it's usually just like the big wrestle kingdom or dominion one mm. isn't it like properly go the distance i would also like to thank new japan for starting my love of tamatonga as well <laughs> so that's not a reason to give them promotion of the of the decade i keep saying of the year then what is they do long term they do long term booking as well and they book things to perfection like the G the G one climaxes of that tournament could be an absolute mess in the wrong hands, but it's booked so well. Yeah. yeah. I like how they also structure their shows as well because they have like your like undercard, like eight man, six man tags and they build over the course and then as the show goes on you get your more important matches and all people say they find a bit often when if you watch a New Japan show and people aren't like chanting, they're just like politely like applauding every now and then. But then they build like the card around what are the most important matches. By the time you get to the main event, that's when the crowd are really starting to like come alive. Yeah, I mean, the, in fairness, when you first start watching them, the crowd can be a bit jarring when you're used to uh, Western crowds. Yeah. But I think uh, I think I got a real appreciation for them. The crowd's almost my favorite thing. You know, I think when they go silent and just watch a match, it makes me think, well, shit, I should be silent and watching this match. <laughs> I think, because like, a dead crowd isn't really dead. There's normally like murmuring and you can see people on their phones and stuff like that. But when the Japan crowd silent, it's, it's literally dead silent and they're all just paying attention to the ring. Yeah. I love, love when there's an undercard, like, genuine match and they do an impressive look. You hear a kind of, ooh. Yeah. The, the aliens from, from Toy Story. <laughs> <laughs> The LGNs. <laughs> but yeah, as just to give uh, go back to what Carl said about the G1 as well, like that is a, it's an incredible thing of Pokemon when you think about it almost. Like one thing I really like about the G1 is how even if you don't win it, if you do well in it, they still big that up as like an accomplishment. They still say like, yeah, you got, you know, however many points in the G1 and they still say it like, yeah, that's, that's still an impressive thing to do. So I like how they don't just they don't just focus on the winner as much as the winner does get a spotlight. They do also have like, you know, oh, this guy won the A block and this guy did win the P block still and this guy still did really well in it. And they look at the overall picture, not just the winner, which I do appreciate. Yeah, and they use it kind of for the next few months of booking and that you beat the guy who won the tournament, so he has to pick his shot in the lane against you or you got an upset win over the champion, so you get a title match and it kind of... Like, it has that level of intrigue about what's going to happen. Like, at some point in the next few months, the perceived main event could change because somebody else could win the title or somebody could win the 
G1 opportunity. Yeah. Yeah, and it's a good way of keeping people occupied in the in the run up to Wrestle Kingdom as well. Yeah. There is that as well, yeah. yeah. So going on to promos now. Carl, give me a give me the promo of the decade. Okay. Well this one's a bit a little bit jarring. I know I feel bad picking it because it's so recent. Um, but I wasn't watching when the pipe bomb was dropped, so you know nothing. You know that that could be the right answer, but it's not mine because I didn't watch it in the right context. So for me, it's um, only a few weeks old, but it's Cody's promo on on Jericho um, when he announced um, his sort of big. It was his big announcement, wasn't it? Um, this would be my first and only shot at the. Um, the uh, AWE Championship, which we all know is going to be a lot, big fat lie at the end of the day. But um, um, but if they build to it and put a story yeah, behind it, then which which looks like they were doing. I mean, the way in which he actually lost the match, you, you could see there's a loophole because he didn't really he didn't really lose it himself. If you know what I mean, it was yeah. it was lost for him by MJF throwing in the towel. So. You know, there's there's always a, there's always loopholes and and way round it. I have but. a theory, and I could well be wrong, but I have a theory that if they build the MJF Cody match to a long time, that MJF might get the title, and that'll be why Cody wants to go against him more be more because he wants the match than the title. But you know, it was it was so it so it, the the promo was so fresh and from the heart, and it, it started off. You know, in a sort of normal cadence, a normal promo, and then he got, you know, he got more passionate as he as he spoke, and it really drew you into to Cody's character and the match himself. When he started talking about how Jer- uh, Chris Jericho talked about his dad and uh, Cody being entitled, and Cody hit back with saying, "Well, I must have missed a bit in the book where you talk about being the son of a famous hockey player." We shared the same silver spoon, you stupid dick. I think is a, a line. It might be slightly paraphrased, but that's a, a line, you know, and he got more and he goes, you know, this isn't about the this isn't about the dad. This isn't about my dad. This is about my um my you know, my wife, my brother, um and my mother. You know, this is about 14, the 14 years it took me from becoming undesirable to undeniable, you know, and there's, there's so much passion in his, in his voice. He's really believing what he's saying, which is a big difference from, you know, you can tell a lot of the promos that um, people in WWE are saying, they, they, they really don't believe what they're saying. And it, it comes across and it's almost corny at times because what they're saying is just so stupid. It's like yeah. um, if anyone watches Ups and Downs with Simon Miller, people don't really talk like that. <laughs> yeah. I If I can steal a line from um, Matthew Vodgermania, at least I think it was him, who called it the Soft Times promo, because they talk <laughs> about how entitled they are. Yeah. That was a good way of putting it. But yeah, it's a great show, to be fair. It is, it is genuinely one of the best, so don't feel bad about picking that, man. It is. It, it's a fantastic promo. Definitely one of the highlights, I would say. Okay, that's what I've got on that one. So who's next up? Fair play. Scott, do you want to take it? Yeah, sure. I mean, 
I uh, I totally see why you chose that one. I'm always, I'm always kind of wary of choosing stuff that's too recent, so it's probably why I didn't go for it. I I didn't go for the pipe bomb either, because uh, I don't think I could have, I'd have really appreciated what it was when I first watched them. Plus, it's, to me, it just seemed like very similar to some other promos that Punk would cut later on. I'm not trying to take anything again away from it, but for me, the best promo of the decade was the Miz promo on Daniel Bryan on Talking Smack because well, just I think we all knew the Miz could like talk for days on the mic, but the way he, the vitriol and the emotion in Miz when he cut this promo was something we don't think we'd ever seen before. It was one of the things where it basically felt like all the years of people kicking him out of locker rooms and kind of disrespect him, saying he wasn't that good. He's kind of all bubbled to the surface and just let it out on Daniel Bryan. And there are points where he's kind of even stumbling over his own words and all that. And he's just too angry speaking at what really helps for me because it feels real. It doesn't feel like he planned out what he was going to say. It wasn't written down for him. He just, like, he's just so caught up in motion that he's struggling to even get the words out. But he knows what he wants to say. And just the way he just looked in the camera at the end when Bryan walked away and it gave you an idea of, like, is this a bit maybe got too real for Brian because he walked away? And I think also the kind of switching attitude towards Miz following this promo as well. Yeah, great shout, great shout. You you must forget about it because it wasn't talking smack. A program had cancelled rather than a like a Rip main roster smack, show. By the way, I mean that should have been. You know, I wish they kept that. That was a that was a great little yeah. Uh, program. But yeah, it's great. It it really did make you see Miz in a different light. Mm-hmm. If I'm right as well, he, he was because 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 he was the Intercontinental Champion at that point, yeah. wasn't he? And he he'd had some like good matches with for the IC title at that point. Like I remember, wasn't there a four way with like him, Sami Zayn, Kevin Owens, and I want to say yeah, Cesaro, Cesaro and Owens, Cesaro, and, yeah. Like until then, people were like weren't really seeing him, like because they didn't want him to win it. I mean, uh, like Meltzer said about that four way, said, "Oh, that'd be a great match." I think it would have made it better if he took Miz out of it. Ooh. Meltzer's never been a fan of the Miz like allegedly it started like raining a little bit in New York after the pre show IC title match that Miz beat Barrett for and Meltzer said that was God crying at the fact that Miz won. <laughs> oh, that's pretty <laughs> funny though, be fair. <laughs> but yeah, I mean Miz I, I imagine in that promo there was you know, I'm not because it wasn't a shoot, but like there would have been like elements to it that, that absolutely that were true. I imagine he was venting some genuine frustration yeah. at that at fans who hadn't given him proper credit. And it is in fairness, when when you look at the format of it, like Brian the face calls him a coward with no provocation. And then Miz is like, excuse me? And like, yeah, it's and he brings up some genuine points when he's like, I've never been injured, you had to retire because of injury and things like that. And it's yeah, it's a fantastic promo. I remember this is one of the ones we knew about prior and I remember when you said it, I kinda wish I'd picked it. I'm mm-hmm. not gonna lie. <laughs> did, but instead, uh, I was to say, did this come off the back of him uh, being in the pre-show of SummerSlam when there was still hardly uh, anybody in the audience yet, or was, was that, that later? Was the, was the following year, I think it was. Like, cause he comes out the next night and dropped in like C9 and Roma, I think it was, and he went. So this is what the box of the sound looked like when it sold out. <laughs> yeah, that's it. I know he hadn't been used as much as he thought he should have been, though. Uh, when he did that promo, and yeah, he'd been left off a card or something, hadn't he? Yeah, because I think he said in a later interview that that episode of SmackDown that was before Tom's Mac, he wasn't even on 
the show, like, because they were putting focus on the fact they were establishing the new tag belts and the new women's belt. So he felt like the IC title was being kind of disrespected. So I think he got a chance to express that on Talking Smack. And also he got to back up, like, some of the, go against some of the criticism over the years, like the way he wrestles. And, like, he goes, yeah, but how many times have I been injured over the years? Which is, which is a fair point to be made. Cause... Yeah, and I don't think the Intercontinental titles ever felt hotter in recent memory than when it's been around his waist, in in my opinion. Yeah, totally yeah. agree. It, it's Miz's title, really, these days, yeah. isn't it? It's like, and I guess people would have associated it with, I don't know, like Shawn Michaels years ago. Like, it's sort of, it's Miz's title now in my eyes, anyway. It should be treated... It should be treated like a television title. It should be on every SmackDown. I mean, I don't think Nakamura was on uh, this week's SmackDown, or I don't remember. Well, I don't remember story. him. Nakamura main roster really doesn't it? Not that I would blame. But it's always the same. No, it's always it's, you know it's it's quite often the same. They seem to forget about these mid card titles, and they you know they should be having like Buddy Murphy and 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 that elk and you know and Ali fighting for the US and Intercontinental titles respectively. To, you know, to get them, to you know, elevate them and make the titles feel important, but they just don't seem to be able to book them like that somehow. Totally agree. I mean, not the IC one, but do you remember the US Open Challenge? Yeah. Mm. That was great. That was so good. I, I wish AEW would rip that off. I'm not going to lie. Could you imagine Cody doing like a US Open style equivalent? He'd nail that. That would be awesome. I mean, that's what Alistair Black should be doing instead of waiting in the room for a fight. He should be every week going in the ring and asking someone to come out and fight him. Yeah, instead of yeah. sitting in a room waiting for a fight. It's hard to feel sorry for someone who's married to Zelina Vega, though, to, <laughs> to be perfectly honest. Well, <laughs> he's winning, he's winning. <laughs> yeah, you've, you've already won life at that point, really, haven't you? Anything else is just a bonus. But yeah, I, yeah, I've gone for the cliche answer. Uh, I've gone for the pipe bomb. Uh, I mean, it'd be weird if one of us didn't. Yeah, yeah. It, <laughs> it's fair. I was watching this at the time. Uh, I'm not going to say I watched it live, but I might watch it like a couple of days later or something like that. And it was one of the ones where you don't really. I mean, I was still young at the time. I mean, it was what 2011. I only would have been causing the head before this, but <laughs> I would have been less than 15. I'm pretty sure, but so I didn't really realize the importance of it at the time. But I, I mean, I think it, it's hard to talk about in a sense because everything's already been said. If you know what I mean, like. It's great delivery. It's so iconic. And in a way, it kind of tells the story of this decade. Like, he talks about Brock and Heyman in the promo, and Brock and Heyman come back the next year, and they've both been hugely influential this decade. He name-drops New Japan and Ring of Honor, uh, which was definitely the first time I'd heard of them, and I imagine it might have been the first time a lot of casual fans had heard of them. And, of course, New Japan is growing exponentially, and as much as ROH has kind of, I don't want to say faded recently, but it's not as big as it was. Is that fair to say? Um, like, Ring of Honor's former talent is pretty much ruling the WWE roster at the minute. You know, guys like Rollins, Owens, Sami Zayn, he's there. So, there's that aspect of it. There's part timers getting, he mentions like Dwayne getting the main event instead of WrestleMania at him and, you know, how many times this decade have, have we heard the argument from fans of part-timers getting main events ahead of regular talent? 
And there's also an element of where he's he, ha- he has a go at the fans for buying the merchandise and fueling the beast. And that's a recent thing with people telling you to cancel the network and stop supporting things like the Saudi shows. You know, like in a way, I realized when I was watching it back for this podcast, in a, in a sense, he does kind of cover this year or well, this decade. I keep doing that. I think I, I think hope that's somewhat eloquent. I think the reason we keep saying this year is because this has been the time of year looking back on the best of the year, where so we keep naturally trying to say year instead of decade. But yeah, excuse me. But uh, like I said, I don't like nothing against the paper bro. Like, it makes sense that we should at least mention it because I think it was one of the most talked about things in recent years. But for me, it's one of the things where Punk I think would cut summer promo. I think. The fact that we've got the Indies would kind of take off a bit more since then, and like a lot of people are really trying to go out for that typical like oh shoot style, like promo people try and make people think oh was what they're saying real or is that planned? Sometimes it works, yeah. sometimes it doesn't. But totally, like, you can you can tell something was good when WWE just keep doing it and doing it and doing it and doing it to hammer it home to the point where you almost get bored of the style. Mm-hmm. But. I mean, yeah, I, I totally appreciate that. That looking back on it with some modern, modern, it was only nine years ago, but with some more promos recently that have had that sort of style, it probably is a bit wearing. Mm-hmm. But at the time, you know, I think again, it, it was it's the only thing this decade that transcended wrestling in a way. I think a lot of people at least know of someone who came back into wrestling because of the pipe bomb. Yeah, I was going to say it. It did bring in lapsed fans, didn't it? And uh rekindled people's interest in the product. Yeah, so yeah, the pipe bomb, that would be my pick. Yeah. Uh, moving on to... I'm organised. Give me a second. Sorry. Oh, come on, phone. Don't do this to me. Only Nathan takes this bit. <laughs> yeah. yeah, he'll leave it in. He'll leave it in to try. He can leave in my professionalism. Match. Lacey, Lacey is crap. There you go. They'll take <laughs> yeah, it out. <laughs> but, yeah. Uh, match. All right. Scott, match of the decade. Yeah, I think you already spoiled it earlier on, but I'll just talk about more here. My match of the decade is Tommaso Ciampa versus Johnny Organo, the unsanctioned match from TakeOver New Orleans. And all people will. Probably see like other fair matches like maybe in New Japan or on the main roster, like in this. But for me, like this, this whole thing leading up to this, like with the story of Champa coming back after turning on Gargano and then like costing me spot in NXT. So there's a whole aspect of either Johnny wins and comes back to NXT or he could lose and go to the main roster because this was me a weekend. This is the time where people get called up. So I generally didn't know what the result was going to be because I thought all this heat Champa has, they could easily have him beat Gargano here. And then you have him coming out to, like, no music at all. And it's all silent, just a chorus of booze. And then, when, so that makes it sound even louder when Champ, when Gargano's music hits. It's like this, like, thunderous, like, pop with people saying, like, yeah, but they wanted to see Gargano beat the hell out of Champa. Like, Champa takes a spot on like the exposed concrete and he's such a heel people chant you deserve it. Yeah, that was when he, he was, was he getting whipped with a belt or something like that and something like that. Fans started chanting you deserve it. Mm-hmm. And um, then like Champa started the whole Champa like weird like clap thing and then pat himself on the back. 
he had the using the knee brace as a weapon, and he had Gargano nearly get drawn in by Champa, but then Count catches him and it wins the Gargano escape using the knee brace. And I think what sets this match apart from the other matches is that you can tell Gargano was staying true to himself, and that's how he was able to beat Champa. Whereas in the other matches, he was a little bit more deranged. He was becoming a bit more like Champa, and that's how Champa beat him the next two matches they had. For me, the other two matches couldn't top this one. Yeah, I love the moment at the end of this match when he is it when they both like Champa sits down as if as if he's asking for forgiveness, mm-hmm. and then Gargano sits down next to him and almost goes to do it, but then Champa goes to hit him with a knee brace, but Gargano like rolls him over into like the Gargano escape or something like that. Is that this yeah. match? Yeah, because like it was a callback to like the ending of the Cruiserweight Classic when they both sat in the ring and then Champa kind of basically said, "Well done, a." Gargano, because Gargano beat Tampa in the first round. So it was yeah. kind of a callback to that, which uh, all of that, because, like, again, the storyline aspect of it, the whole the callback to it, Tampa grabbed a crutch, like the one he used at the end of Philadelphia, he had Gargano on the back with. Tell you what, yeah. as well, they deserve amazing credit for keeping that story as good as it was while Tampa was out with an injury, for as long as he was as well. Yeah. I thought that was a very impressive thing to do. Yeah, we can get into something when we talk about my match, which sort of helps carry it on a bit and another aspect. But it's definitely the strongest of their three matches. I thought the other the other uh, two were a bit too similar and perhaps went on a bit too long and got a bit and got a bit overblown for in, in my opinion anyway. But that that one's definitely the standout. Yeah, I think, I think it's maybe because this match felt like it should have been the ending of the feud as well. I think a lot of people thought this would be the end of it. Like one of those or at things, least I did. One of those things, like, when you start off with an unsanctioned match, there's very few places that you can go to top that if you're going to have another match. And then the fact that their match in Brooklyn was meant to be a triple threat, and then they had to change it to just a singles match, which then, I think, didn't really help it. And the fact that people were like, well, this is a third singles match we've seen from them in as many months, and which is more of a main roster thing for them to do than a NXT thing. Yeah, and then they got called up and they just ignored all of it and put them in a tag match. Remember that? Yeah, that was weird. That was horrible. I think they were starting to sort of collude together though, didn't they? They had that great storyline where um, Gargano was sort of turn, sort of turned into the dark side somewhat, didn't they? Yeah, um, you've been tempted by the Emperor, basically. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And so, Cole, on your match, you said there was something else you wanted to get into on it as well. So, Well, my match is also from my pay-view of the year, which is uh, Andrade Cien Almas uh, versus Johnny Gargano. Um, I thought it was a great match. Also a great story leading up to it as well. Gargano, you know, coming out from being betrayed by Ciampo. He, he went on a bit of a, a losing streak. Um, I think he found his way into a, a number one contenders match by by accident. It was meant to, I think someone got pulled from it. I can't remember who it was. It was Lars Sullivan, Killian Dane, uh, Alistair Black. And I think there was meant to be someone else, but I can't for the life of me remember who that was. But Gargano got inserted into it. He won against all the odds and um, went on to challenge... CNL maths um, and everyone, you know, not just the match was such a great from a technical standpoint. You know, it was 
it was booked and paced to perfection. Um, there was, it also it almost became a war of attrition towards the end with you know, counters, reversals. You had the spot where um, Candice LeRae chased Selena Vega out of the arena because she was fed up of uh, const, uh, Vega's constant interference in the match. Um, then you had Armas winning clean, which was, uh, you know, totally unexpected. And then as, uh, at the ending as well, where uh, Gogan has been helped to the back by his, his wife, uh, the crowd are giving him a standing ovation, and then he should turn out up uh, crutch in hand to wallop him from behind, but to Massa Champa, which led into the next pay-per-view and Scott's choice of their unsanctioned match. Didn't he? Um, didn't he? Is that the match he lost because Zelina um, Vega threw a DIY shirt at him? No, no I was... think that was another one, wasn't it? Yes. No. Sorry. One. You're right. Yes. Uh, because that was a great moment. Excuse me. But yeah, uh, not that this match was bad. Didn't this match get five and a half stars off Melzer as well? No, I think it was just five. Was it just five? Yeah, I think it, it could have been. Short, and it was the first one in since like Punk Cena in yeah. 2011 to get five stars. So it was a big deal at the time. Yeah, it's a, it's a DDT on the apron, and then um, on on the apron, um, Almas gave him the double knees against the ring post. Um, which, yeah, which uh, sort of finished Gargano off. It was yeah, it was such a good match. Did anyone else have this thing with Almas where they were a bit disappointed when McIntyre lost the title to him, and then by the end of his by the end of Almas's run, like thought he was the greatest NXT champion of all time because that's where I was. It I came out of nowhere. No one because Drew hadn't had the belt that long, and mm. Almas had. I don't know if it was always the plan. The story they told of Armas. He was like this part. He's been this party guy. He was losing matches he should have been winning, um, and then he only started picking up the wins when Selena Vega became his manager and sort of motivated him. And he managed to get himself into title contention. It, it did feel like it came out a, a bit out of nowhere. I remember when he like, beat Drew. I remember I was like, oh, I'm starting to really enjoy Armas now, and. Uh, Wait, when he had Vega with him, he was starting to take things a bit more seriously. And then when he beat Drew, I thought, well, I didn't think he was empty title good. And then also, like, this match and other, and other stuff he did in his reign, like, he's stuff with Gargano. That really kind of turned, changed my opinion. Like, mm. oh, maybe he should be the champion. Like, he's actually better than I gave him credit for. Yeah, it was it was an act with Celina Vega that worked so well. They both complement each other really well. And... and so for my match, uh, I'm re- I feel really bad because you guys have picked matches and stories that feed into each other, and I'm just like an outlier. <laughs> but, uh, I've gone for the five-on-five five men's elimination match at Survivor Series 2016. Uh, I don't it know if you remember match. this one. Uh, it, I picked this one because it has everything about wrestling in it that I like, pretty much. Like, if you think about the amount of memorable moments in it, so you had uh, the Shield reuniting when they beat uh, when after Dean Ambrose had been eliminated and he was in a rivalry with AJ Styles at the time. So Ambrose came back to beat up Styles and then Rollins and um, Reigns realised, well, we might as well just join in and beat him up as well. So then they briefly reunited and powerbombed him through it uh, as much as, you know, Ellsworth 
we don't really like Ellsworth anymore. Uh, him getting his revenge on Braun Strowman at the time was a great moment where he, he held his leg and made him get counted out after Braun Strowman had been going on a tear. <laughs> there was a great moment when Luke Harper just emerged from underneath the ring when it came down to Rollins, uh, Rollins and Reigns versus Orton and Bray. And they also used Reigns' hate well in this match because they knew if they left it as Bray and Orton versus Reigns that people were going to be like, oh my God, Reigns is going to win this. He's going to come back and win it. Yeah, I thought that. I must admit, until Luke Harper made his uh, surprise appearance, I thought, oh, here we go. Reigns is just going to knock through and then kill Orton and Bray's heat. <laughs> <laughs> You've also got that bit where um, it was in the middle of the great Kevin Owens and uh, Chris Jericho feud where Jericho was in some sort of submission. It may even be the walls of Jericho or something. Someone may have turned the walls of Jericho around on him and used it on him or something like that. And so Kevin Owens came in with the list of Jericho and hit him with it, getting himself disqualified. But then Jericho was distraught because the list had been destroyed. So he was distracted (laughs) and then Orton came in with an RKO and took him out of it. I actually... Before to uh, take over New Orleans as my show of the decades between that and this pay per view, so I definitely agree with your choice of this as match the match of the decade because especially this match and had a lot going for it. and I don't remember how like over Ellsworth was at the time. It's one of those weird things to look back on. I remember that in the run up to that Ron Smackdown were at the Hydro in Glasgow, and I went to this I went to both shows and I was at Smackdown and I said to my brother. Do you think Ellsworth will appear and blah blah Because Ellsworth didn't have an official contract yet. So we were like, no, nah, they wouldn't, wouldn't have flown Ellsworth over to the UK. And then his music kind of got one of the biggest pots of the night. <laughs> yeah, I mean, obviously stuff's come out about him and I think it's fair to say all of us think that's it's very shitty of him. But, you know, allegedly. But at the time, I thought it was a great moment. Um, just trying to remember the ones. You have Shane, oh God, Shane McMahon nearly killing himself when he did. They did that coast to coast into the spear spot, but Reigns nearly took his head off. Yeah, that was amazing. I have to say that, Shane. You can say what you like about Shane, but he'll take one for the team. Oh, he will. Yeah, will he not? Um, I'm just trying to think because there were more. There was, I mean, even just the opening. Uh, you had Rollins versus Ambrose, who at the time like had never had a bad match together. Sadly, that would break later on. But for a long time, they just seemed to have that chemistry where they just couldn't have a bad match together. Yeah. Are you going to say something there, Scott? Excuse me. Yeah, I was going to say, like, using, like, they did use this to, like, further other stories. Like, they had the, the tease further the dissension between Owens and Jericho, and then they did the fake out the night next night, and it continued the whole Orton and the Wyatt family, like, proving his loyalty because he's, like, jumps in front of a spear, I think, to yeah. save Wyatt. And then you have Ambrose, he hates. Styles so much that it almost cost SmackDown the match. Like when he's helping the Shield beat up Styles, you have JBL on commentary who's on SmackDown going mentally, "What the hell are you doing?" And yet somehow, and also the fact that JBL fucks up going Rollins, yeah. Rollins when when SmackDown when he's on SmackDown. Yeah, have you rewatched the um the match since on the network? I think so, not for a while. I have, but like Scott says, not for a while, but I have rewatched it. It is a it is a fun match. Just point out they edited that out. They edited JBL's um botch out, they've edited him in saying SmackDown wins in. <laughs> Cause yeah, that was 
that was something else. God, JBL. But yeah, that's fine. I think it's I think it's WWE storytelling at its best. Yeah. You know I'm gonna I mean? quote should... I'm gonna quote okay. the legendary Finn Martin here. Um the biggest compliment I can give that match is it's almost an hour long and you you just don't it doesn't feel like you're watching it for an hour. It it feels a lot, you know, because it's so good, it just feels a lot shorter somehow. Yeah. There's a five or five or six matches on a three over three hour show, which is rare for the big four. Absolutely. And um, I tell you one thing as well, when you compare it to the match of the 2017 one, mm-hmm. Jesus Christ, it's yeah. even better when you look at it that way. God, they made such a mess of that. I don't even know what they were trying to do. That's why I like NXT coming in this year, because 2016, the whole Robbie's Imagine thing really worked, because you had a show like this. 17 and 18, it just didn't work at all. It needed something new, and that's why oh. it was just this year when NXT came in. I was really worried about it making like a triple threat elimination. I, I thought it'd be a bit of a cluster, but they booked it really well. Apart from Valta, perhaps getting eliminated too soon, um, I, I thought it was really well done. So, yep, uh, that was that'd be my match. Uh, moving on to story, this is a pretty big one, and uh, I'll start this one. If it's all right. Yeah, you may as well. You haven't started one yet. Yeah, I'm just too polite, can I say? <laughs> um, my story, it's tech. I think it's technically cheating in a way because it started in 2009, but it was like the Slammy Awards of 2009. So give me a break. Do you remember the Slammies? But yeah. yeah. But mine is Shawn Michaels' retirement story leading up to WrestleMania 26. Uh, I think it's not just one of the best wrestling stories of the decade, but it's one of just the best stories in general. I've seen this decade. I really liked it. Really got invested in it. I just, you know, he challenges the Undertaker because he's got a point to prove, but Undertaker fairly in a way because he doesn't have anything to prove, just says no. And then over the course of it, you just see him slowly go mad over this obsession with the Undertaker. Like he goes on the Royal Rumble and he tries to win it, but he gets eliminated by Batista, and then he starts kicking the shit out of referees because he can't, he just can't take the fact that he he's not the best anymore and he couldn't he couldn't win that match. And then it just sort of keeps going on where he, he loses it with Triple H and he costs him and DX the tag titles and uh, he eventually costs the Undertaker the world title. And then he finds himself in the same position but on the opposite side that he was in two years ago with Flair where Flair had said to him, well, if I can't compete with the best, I don't want to continue my career. And then when Undertaker says, put your career on the line, he basically says the same thing. No, wasn't it? Wasn't Flair a bit different? Wasn't he? He wanted to carry on, but Vince McMahon said, um, "You'll retire when you lose oh, a match yeah, or something." That, that wasn't the. It wasn't necessarily the stipulation for Flair, but that was a quote from Flair's. Um, from uh, Flair, I'm with you now. I'm with you now. Yeah, I'm WrestleMania with you now. 24 match where Flair had said, "Well, it doesn't matter." You know, he didn't say this exactly, but he was saying it doesn't matter the stipulation because if I can't compete with the best, I don't want to continue anyway. Mm-hmm. So uh, yeah, that would be my story of the decade i just think it's superb from start to finish it's also got a great match at the end of it not as good as that 25 one but i still think it's a really good match and it's also got one of the best promo packages ever as well they did before the match so yeah yeah i mean i I remember how good the video package was i think given how like some of the key moments of the story took place in like this decade i think it still does count because you had the 2010 rumble with sean 
like trying to win the rumble, even eliminating Triple H, and then how distraught he looked when he got eliminated. Uh, yeah, I'm interviewing in the, the chamber, and then you had the match itself. Yeah, in the um, the the selling on Michaels as well. Like, I mean, it's not it's nothing new to tell you that Michaels is one of the best sellers of all time. But like when Batista eliminates him from the rumble, and you can see him like just sort of snatching for the ropes, but he can't quite make it, and then just the devastation on his face when he lands on the floor. It's mm. it's, it's heartbreaking in a way. It's like it's as over the dramatic as that probably is to say. Uh, Carl, yeah, have you seen I, much of the story? Cause I know yeah, you... I mean, uh, I wasn't watching properly in 2010, but I have gone back and watched these in retrospect because people have said how good they are. And yeah, um, so I don't really get the full impact of the story because I didn't watch it in context, but definitely see how it, yeah, it, it, it hitch in the feels and what have you. Absolutely. Uh, it's all I've really got to say on that one, to be fair, if anyone else wants to add anything. No, I think we said. Oh, yeah, I think you've covered it. Third player. Then, Carl, give me yours. Okay, my story is uh, Daniel Bryan's um, journey to the WWE title at WrestleMania 30. Uh, I think it was uh, it was just when I was it, I just caught it at the right time. I just got back into watching WWE uh, at SummerSlam when he he won the belt, only to have it taken straight off him because of uh, pedigree from Triple H and Randy Orton covering him. I think one of the only cash-ins, perhaps, where the person catching didn't, didn't actually do a move on the wrestler to beat, yes, to uh, beat them. He just covered him. <laughs> uh, and Brian beat Cena clean in that match yeah. as well. So it's one of, the, one of the few times he hits him with the running knee and then takes him yeah. down. Remember, it was weird because he hadn't Used their knee that much, so I hadn't been established as his finisher. Remember yeah. watching him actually hit them with a random knee, and then that's it. Like, oh, all right. At the time, it was maybe a bit underwhelming, but I loved Brian that much at that point that I was just like, okay, I'll take it. Yeah, it was so over. Basically, his, his job in WWE's eyes was to keep Orton busy until uh, WrestleMania, where they were, they'd been planning for a while to have Batista win the Royal Rumble and have uh, Batista v. And uh, Batista v Orton to headline WrestleMania 30. Uh, obviously, Brian put a spanner in the works because he got so over, and uh, they were forced to. They were in the end forced to change their plans. And we um, to see that journey. The more they try to hold Daniel Bryan back on TV, the bigger you know the bigger the crowd responses would get. The more they would chant yes, yes, yes. Um, you got a. Is it? Uh, I get mixed up. Was this the one he wasn't in the rumble, or did he get eliminated? Yeah. And no, Ray he was A Mysterio got booed at the at the building. Yeah, that right. Yeah, the one Roman one when he went out early, isn't it? I'm, yes. I'm, I'm just making sure I'm not getting them mixed up. That's it. And then poor Ray Mysterio got the booze at number 30. This is something I'm a bit concerned might happen this year in the women's rumble. If Ronda isn't in it and she's hasn't appeared and she's not number 30, whoever comes out at number 30 could get that treatment because everyone's convinced Ronda's coming back to win that rumble. I'm, I'm not so much. I mean, I'll admit I'm a, like I'm sort of tuned out with WWE at the minute. But I don't think people are as anticipating Ronda as much as they were Brian in that rumble. Possibly not, but a lot of the chatter I see on Twitter 
tells me different. I mean, and, I mean, to be fair, Brian was one of the most over guys ever at that point. So mm. you, know, you don't have to be as over as Brian to get that reaction, I guess. And sorry, Scott, I'll cut you off next. Yeah, I think the closest thing to Brian would have been if Becky wasn't in the women's global yeah. this year. Because like, they were convinced she was going to get put in somewhere because she lost cleanly to Asuka. Early night, kind of like how Brian lost cleanly to Wyatt that same show. So, like, eventually, I think when Lana came at limping, that's when we were convinced that he was going to go in. But if they just let Lana go in and, like, or just take her out and no one replaced her, then I think the crowd would have reacted the same they did when Brian didn't go in the Rumble. Yeah, definitely. There was quite a lot of outrage when they booked the match with Asuka, wasn't there? Because they were hoping Becky would be in the Rumble. But for me, as soon as Lana had that injury on the pre show, I had a feeling that's, that's where they might go with it, to be fair. Wasn't 100% convinced, but yeah. It shows what WWE can do when they pull the finger out of their ass. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, yeah, back back to back to my story. Yeah, um, the boos, um, they booed Batista at the building when he won. They continued to boo Batista, so the company turned him heel. Um, they eventually uh, put Brian in the, in the opening match of Mania against Triple H, whoever won. Goes gets inserted into the main event and makes it a triple threat match. Brian won that match, but uh, Triple H continued to do his best to stop Brian. He uh, beat him up after the match. Uh, so there's always so you had that doubt: was Brian going to be, you know, fit enough and able to compete in in this match? And he did. He came, he did come out eventually, and he competed in the match. But then he got taken out because of. Uh, double manoeuvre mm. onto the announced table. But he came back out. And even then, Triple H is trying to stop Daniel Bryan from winning, but he beats, you know, he beats him, he beats him back and ends up uh, getting Batista in the yes lock and winning the title. And the whole crowd just erupts. It's probably one of the best feel-good moments they've had at WrestleMania for for a long time. Helps it's perhaps a bit of a shorter mania. It was only about four hours of the main show, which is quite short compared to yeah. a, to the more recent efforts. But yeah, it shows how it's it shows how long they're getting when you can see oh it was four hours. It's like that was a short one. <laughs> I mean, it shows the fans can be listened to and the fans can be right. Uh, I mean, they they tried it again this year, but unfortunately, Seth and uh, Kofi didn't really click in their roles as much as you'd like them to. Whether that's down to booking no, I mean, more than the the characters themselves, I don't know. Seth definitely didn't help himself with his Twitter outbursts, and maybe they could have booked Kofi slightly better. Maybe distanced him Kofi a little more. bit from New Day and given him some more credible opponents, perhaps. I don't know. Um, yeah, I will, yeah, I'll come back to the Kofi thing later. But yeah, yeah. with the Ryan stories, like a few things that stand out are the fact that seemingly. Even though half the stuff that happened in the story wasn't really Debbie's intention, when you actually look back on it, it feels like it was. Yeah, it really Fun. does, doesn't it? Like you say, it, it definitely wasn't, but they sort of retconned it to make it look like it was, haven't they? <laughs> yeah. And the, the, also, we talk about video packages. The Brian video package before his match with Triple H set to Monster by Imagine Dragons was really good, like mm. recapping what had happened. Not just before in the story, but in Brian's run in WWE. And what I also love is how similar the storyline was with Kofi. 
Kelly managed to mirror the storylines with like Brian being in the authority position almost and Kofi being in Brian's position to the point where somebody even like took the song from Brian's video package and put it over a package of Kofi. Yeah. And it was great, to be fair. They should have just used that. If I was doing it really, I would have just found the guy who made that and given him some money and used it. <laughs> Triple H had that excellent entrance where he's on the throne. Um, yeah. Making it even more like, you know, he's, he is that authority, he's the king yeah. that needs to be conquered. And um, fun fact, I think most people know it now, but Sasha, Charlotte and uh, Alexa Bliss were the, the three women that surrounded him on the throne. Oh, really? I didn't know Make, that, to be fair. Making uh, WrestleMania debuts, yeah. Yeah, it's, that's, I'm glad you mentioned that. A bit like the pipe bomb, I think it's one of the things that I'm, I'm glad one of us mentioned, because it's one of the moments that will stand out from this decade, definitely. Or one of the stories, rather, I should say. Okay. And, uh, have, we, have we got Scott next? Yeah. Yep, please. And Sorry if I'm starting to feel that same year, but I'm probably just the last I'll mention of this one, and then I'll come up with something different for the next couple because my story <laughs> of the year is the breakup of DIY and the subsequent matches that followed because well a few years you surprised me well it was my favourite <laughs> match of the year and one of the things that really gets you into a match is the story and for me I don't think there was a story that really drew me in this decade as much as the DIY breakup did because first off like they weren't officially a team for really much of for that long, they appeared a few times in 2015-16, like, before they officially got signed, they had the Cruiserweight Classic match, and then that's when they properly became a team full-time, they, were, they got their official name, they had the matches with Revival, and then take over Chicago at that moment where you think everything's okay because the watermark popped up, and then Champa turns on Gargano, becomes one of the true proper heels that the company's seen in a long time, where people properly hate him. And Gallardo proves that in this day and age of like people already knowing the behind the scenes stuff, you can have a true, like clean baby face that people can get behind. And you had just Carl mentioned before, like the whole thing of Gargano having to try and reevaluate himself as a single suit competitor again and move on from DIY, but he keeps losing. You have Champa getting injured, which in hindsight seemed to be the best thing because if they just if he hadn't got injured, they would have jumped straight into the next Seagull and had a match, and it wouldn't have felt as special because like, it would just be like they were hot showing it. Whereas Champa being injured, he got, every time he went on Twitter, he would just basically troll Johnny Gargano because like, Johnny Gargano's theme song was Rebel Heart, so he changed his name on Twitter to Blackheart. Like, he spoils the end of Avengers Infinity War. Yeah, God, I remember that. God, I remember it. Yeah, that was, that was a mint. Yeah, so I mean, yeah, it wouldn't have been meant if I hadn't seen it, but yeah, it was really funny. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, I, I, I love it. I know something like it's always great when the good guy wins. Yeah, <laughs> I love Champa's music, but I almost wish they kept him without it. It, it seemed to give him a, a different aura somehow coming out to, to know music. It really worked for him. Yeah, it was something different, I think, because I don't think we've seen that for a long time. Somebody coming yeah. out to know music. Like, You're so, forgetting like, the librarian Peter Avalon, excuse me. <laughs> Moving on. So, <laughs> like, yeah, you had the match in, in New Orleans. Like, it was also better than the other two matches, but like, the other two matches were great. You had Champa beating Gargano, the fact that he was handcuffed as well. So you could say, like, oh, I beat Johnny with my hands tied behind my back. And 
Johnny's becoming a bit more deranged. He's being sucked in by uh, his desire to beat Champa, and you know, Champa winning the title to beat Gregor, trying to stop him. He ends up helping him accidentally. He ended up even turning to teasing, going to the dark side by attacking Alistair Black so he can get his hands on Champa himself. Then you tease him getting back together as a heel version of DIY. He had that moment at the end of Tigor uh, Phoenix, I think it was, but then both posing with the NXT and North American titles. I remember when he, he Gargano was revealed to be the attacker of Alistair Black, he had uh, Champa tweeting like, I'm so proud of you. Yeah. And then yeah, kind of the reverse of the, the Tigor War Chicago moment where when they get kicked, they lose in the Dusty Classic. Champa goes to turn on him again, but Gargano turns it around on him and beats the hell out of him. And yeah, I would have liked to have seen them finally get that match in New York where Gargano beats him for the title. But you also had that moment where Gargano won and then Champa comes out and he's net brace and they both hug at the top of the ramp. Yeah. Yeah. And they also, they also did that sort of thing, which I like. He almost sort of told the story of his gradual turn in his tights as well, didn't he? Start off in the Captain America gear, and then he had like a Venom gear, and then in one he had the Punisher gear. As he was gradually getting darker, so was his sort of uh, his, you know, the the representation of his gear. Yeah, and like so, when he won the North American title, he had the the Phoenix from X Men kind of color scheme, and yeah. Also the- Story of the Phoenix is about a hero getting corrupted by something evil, and obviously people that was they tell the story of him and him possibly being turned by Champa and then getting back together as a heel team. It's always nice when they do stuff like that. And you see it reflected in gear and music. And yeah, it's a nice yeah. little. It was a nice little detail. And was very much like a Sami Zayn style heel in that he used to came out to the same music. He was very much the same thing, but just he looked like a cocky dick because he was meant to be as a heel. Yeah, a bit like yeah, a bit like almost. Didn't Jericho have a thing like that in the early nineties when he came out as like a just sort of clean cut baby face, but people hated it. And yeah, he just sort of like kept going with it. They mm-hmm. don't, they don't do it enough, and don't stick with it long enough when somebody's playing the. Oh, I've lost the word now. The. Uh, oh, the clean cut baby face. No, no, the. Um, oh, it begins with an O. I just oh, I was on the tip of my tongue and I've gone to say it. It's absolutely just left me. The the um oh, the heel that doesn't know they're a heel. There's a word and it's just oblivious. Oblivious. That's it. That's it right, just yeah. completely left my mind. We got yeah. there. The, this uh, is the time. The oblivious. You can the expect. Oblivious heel. They, they, you know, one's had a re- in my opinion, one's had a really good run with it where they've kept it going for a good few months. So, you know. They're, they're obviously a heel, but in their mind, they're a baby face. Yeah, they should do it more. They you know, could do a really good story, story. but they, they perhaps could have done it more with Bailey when they turned Bailey. She's gone more or less full heel now, but they perhaps could have done done a longer stretch with her, still act in parts acting and thinking she's the baby face, but cheating to win matches and stuff, but sort of using twisted logic and reasons to... Um, justify it. That's what Bo Dallas was in NXT, and then well, when he came up to the main roster at first. Yeah. Ah, see, I missed his run, so there you go. Didn't Champ as well? I remember. I think it was a tweet or something. That's another way you could define this decade in wrestling, really. Twitter. But didn't he? He tweeted something great. It was something along the lines of like, "I never hated Johnny Gargano. I I hated like 
like what you, what you fans had done to him or something when he turned into be, mm. like to try and please you or something that was when he was trying to turn him to the dark side basically yeah and the fact that like he said like the fact that he seemed like Gargano would turn against the fans like Johnny's finally seen the light and he said like big daddy champa is proud or something like that <laughs> daddy champa wow and then you had the whole thing with him in the title like Goldie and like how obsessed he was like he'd come out and be clutching onto the title yeah, yeah, I love I love the way he's like with like the title's like a, like a baby or something almost. Yeah, because he wanted to call it Willow because that's his daughter's name, but I can't remember the reason why he didn't like do it. I did remember a few. What is it? Was it was it one? It was one of NXT's first live shows when um, Champa returned, and I loved how he just stared down the um. He's like he he stared at the NXT title belt more than he stared at Adam Cole. Mm-hmm. And like some people pointed out, like when he kissed the title, he wouldn't kiss the man, but he kissed the side plates that said his name on them. <laughs> because he's a dick. <laughs> <laughs> he has now named a move after his daughter, though, hasn't he? Willow's Bell. Yeah, because the the dreaming DDT thing. That's quite a touching story. If you've seen his um, documentary on um, the network, because him and his wife had a really tough time conceiving. Mm-hmm. Well, if he wasn't so busy being a dick to Johnny Gargano. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Karma. Oh, it's for fun. But yeah. God, I'm going to have to bite my tongue. So going on to moment. Moment. Go on, give me, Carl, give me a moment. Give me a moment of the decade. What stood out to you the most? It's a bit ambiguous, this one, I know. Like, what, what well, would you define as moment? The moment is probably the same as story, really, is... Uh, Daniel Bryan holding the WWE title aloft after um, dying in Batista yep. and Orton yeah. or something. If it, you know, it's a, it was a perfect way to close that show on the uh, 30th WrestleMania. Probably the only thing that could have made people happy after Taker lost mm. the streak. Uh, go on then, Scott. Well, just no disrespect, Carl, but we've already talked about that one more. Yeah, yeah, no. Yeah, just jumping, uh, Scott. Scott, did you have a different moment? Or? Uh, I do have a different moment, but. You'll be happy to know there's nothing to do with NXT or Gargano or Champ. A bit different this one. Because <laughs> as you said, it's a bit vague, this whole like, idea of just a single moment. But I think I'm going to, Carl can already mention it just two seconds ago, but I'm going to pick the moment Brock Lesnar beat The Undertaker at WrestleMania. Because I remember where I was when I watched it. I was in my brother's friend's house. We were all watching it. And then it wasn't up until that 35 I thought maybe this would be it. And then just when I seen this three, I just, like, my mouth was wide open. I just stood there, not saying a word for a good few minutes. Just then, like, my brother was like, what the fuck just happened? Like, my brother was properly raging. Like, he almost left. Like, <laughs> I think it was because he'd been drinking as well, but he was raging at the yeah. idea that maybe he almost left that just then and now. Yeah, like, I'll, I'll say this about it. Um, it actually turned me off wrestling for a year and <laughs> <laughs> um, it wasn't the only thing like i'd been a bit burned out on wrestling and i'd been watching it less and less and less and then when i'd heard Tigger had lost the streak i was just like nah, i'm done but then i, I kind of started missing it and got back into it around 2015 yeah but yeah i mean in hindsight i don't hate it that much anymore but at the time i was raging it was yeah. it, it was shocking and they pan you always think of that um um, African American guy, eyes, yeah. eyes pop, eyes almost popping out of his head, don't you? <laughs> Look, it's one of the things. Like, this is a WrestleMania crowd. This is all the 
hardcore fans are coming from all over the world and the fact they were all just like silenced when as soon as that bell hit like just that because all the shock he's like it's one of those what you know where you were kind of moments and i think that's why you can't not mention a moment of this decade yeah. without mentioning it because yeah. it's a moment you didn't think would happen because it's gone to that stage where it didn't seem like anyone was going to beat the undertaker and if they did it would be somebody kind of up and coming right before taker retired but I think in hindsight, this has kind of diminished everything Taker's done at Mania since because without that streak, what is there really to get you invested in a Taker match at WrestleMania? Yeah, I mean, the, it, it did wonders for Brock. You know, you, you can't deny that. A lot of people will say Brock didn't necessarily need it, but say what you want about him needing it. I think they definitely used it to almost the best of their ability. Like they had him. Um, but he didn't get beat. He didn't get beaten until Goldberg like two and a half years later or something, didn't he? Yeah, I mean, I mean he was beaten, but he wasn't like pinned like you had that one with Rollins. Uh, oh yeah, like, he'd been like triple threat pinned. matches and Roman. stuff like that where he'd yeah he hadn't necessarily won, but he himself had not been pinned or submitted in yeah. however long. And I also um, love that sorry, uh, he meant for months would just appear on TV and just remind you constantly. Oh yeah, remember when Brock Lesnar beat the Undertaker? And everybody was just like, it's too soon, Paul. So they yeah. even gave a good story when Undertaker did come back that time as well, didn't it, to challenge him. He said it's not about losing. All all things have to come to an end, but it's about the constant going on about it. <laughs> like, I fair enough, you beat me, we just don't go on about it. <laughs> I mean, has he met Paul Heyman? <laughs> yeah, I okay. totally agree. Um, and also, I guess just this isn't my moment, but I do just want to give a shout out to when later, like was it the next month? Brock's no, I don't think it was the next month, but it was a couple of months later when Brock squashed Cena, doing yeah. like the next, the the next most impossible thing you could think of, <laughs> basically. No, uh, my moment is, I guess it's similar to yours, Carl, but mine's Kofi Kingston winning the WWE title rather than uh, Daniel Bryan winning it. I think it's just one of the most feel good moments of the year. Not the year, goddammit, John, it's the decade. Um, it's the only moment from this decade that made me jump out of my seat when I saw it. <laughs> I like jumped up. Uh, and yeah, I just think it's like, I mean, I've loved Kofi for ages. I always wanted him to, I always wanted someone from New Day to win the WWE title. And if I'd have had my pick, it would have been Kofi. And there is written proof of that online that I said that before the match mm-hmm. or the feud. So I guess it's just to try and maintain a bit of credibility there. And yeah, again, I'm not going to go on about it because it's been pretty much said. It's all been said, but yeah, I think everyone knows why that yeah, moment was so great. It was a it was a great you know a great match and a great moment for Kofi, um and that culture as well. You know, yeah. African and Americans I, I, can become uh, world champion, and hopefully there'll be more. I mean, I'd love to see Big E get a run with it. I really would. I think Big E's excellent. Hundred percent, hundred percent, and. One thing I do just want to mention on that is that I will totally acknowledge the title reign after wasn't particularly great, but to me, you could have lost the belt at the next month. I wouldn't have even cared. You know, it was it was me, him having the title was always about that moment. What do you think so, about the way he did actually lose it, though? Uh, it turned up raw. Do you know what it was, actually, right? It was a big slap in the face to me, that, because I remember thinking I was getting really excited because it was the same week when AEW and NXT were going live. And I watched Raw and enjoyed it. And then, then I watched NXT and then I watched AW and I was like, you know what, wrestling's not that bad. Maybe I'll get back into WWE. Maybe I'm being too cynical. 
And then that match happened and it was just a big wake-up call and I was like, nah, it's, WWE sucks. <laughs> so. Yeah, because you mentioned it, Sean, like, one of those things, like, this week of all weeks where you're starting to go head-to-head with AEW, this is the week you really want to piss off your fans. Yeah, totally. And it's not like, it's not that I was even bothered that Kofi lost. You know, it, it it's more just, you know for a fact Kofi could have had a good match with Brock. It would have probably just been the same match he'd had with like Brian and Balor and AJ, which fair enough, but it would have still been a good match. Mm-hmm. But just to squash him and then not put him back in the middle. Like, if you look at Kofi now, you would never believe he was WWE champion. Yeah, I think the worst thing is not not that she'll squash match itself, but the fact they've not given him any sort of rematch. He's just been uh, put in the, you know, the tag division again. And like, as you say, like it almost never happened. Yeah, you. I would love to, I would love to meet someone who somehow became a fan like around this time and didn't know uh, Kofi being WWE champion, and I'd love to tell them and just see their reaction. Like what? Because <laughs> it's, it's just so unfair. And I do think the majority of the blame for his run goes on the booking team. I know some people have said Kofi hasn't stepped up, which I mean maybe fair enough. But I think it, you have to be given good material in order to step up. Yeah. Like Brian was. People bring up Brian, but I feel like Brian was a one in a million case of where the fans were just not going to be denied that. They just weren't going to have it. Uh, and and then O'Brien was eventually given good material, like the Occupy Raw stuff, and then the match with Triple H, and then the main event. Whereas Kofi never really got that. Yeah, yeah, sorry. That's, so uh, that's just my mini rant yeah, over, excuse no. me. <laughs> I'll go along with that. And moving on from that, uh, I was going to bring up tag team. Scott, can I guess your tag team? Uh, you'd be wrong. but So it's not DIY. <laughs> No, it's not DIY. Damn. Okay, <laughs> that's what I get for my cheek. What is it then? <laughs> but my tag team, I was very, I almost went with the Hardys because of some of the stuff they did in TNA, like the walking stuff, and then they went to Ring of Honor briefly, and then they had that return at WrestleMania. But I thought all the stuff that's been great about the Hardys this year is all mainly down in Matt more than Jeff. So I decided instead to go with the Usos. Because they debuted yeah. in 2010, so they've been a pretty much a constant in WWE throughout the decade. Like especially in the early part of this decade, where there were so many thrown together tag teams, like get Kofi and whatever partner of the month he had, like Evan Bourne or our truth or whoever. But yeah, one Kofi of the was few... like tag team partner speed dating at one point, wasn't he? Like, he was just getting passed around. Yeah, so like yeah, some of the only actual tag teams you had were really just the new date. Uh, I'll start that again. Fucking hell. The Usos were one of the few proper tag teams you had throughout this decade when there were all these thrown together teams. And while some people may not have, we were like, oh, New Day. You'd say New Day for some reason, I think, because they had such good matches in New Day. But yeah, the thing with the Usos is some people kind of really got back into them in 2016 when they finally turned heel. And like it's not just the work that they hadn't been good to them. they had they'd been good but just people hadn't really appreciated it, I don't think before then it's like they went in twenty thirteen they were in great matches with the Shield and twenty ten they were in great matches with the Hard Dynasty. Twenty fourteen they had great matches with the bloody Wyatts and then twenty sixteen they turned heel on American Alpha. They get that new edge about them and twenty seventeen yeah, yeah. and eighteen they were in great matches with the New Day, they had the first tie team Hell in a Sale match. That character uh, was great. The, uh, the Uso Penitentiary stuff. 
Mm-hmm. That was awesome. It was a rap battle they had. We they've taken it a bit too far with the whole whistle paying attention, but you know. Um. <laughs> Uh, I thought, yeah, they were they were good um, as baby faces, but I never really clicked with them. It was almost like a revelation when they turned heel. They, they dropped the gawky face paint and um, the gawky tights, and started wearing almost like almost like street clothes um, as their gear. And yeah, as you said, they had an edge to them, and uh, I really started to sort of click with them after that. And yeah, they they haven't. Apart from his personal problems, which I don't want to mention here, in in the ring and that they haven't really missed a beat since then, have they? And as I say, they're series of the new day, top I mean, notch. Also, yeah. I think the cool thing about them is I was talking about this my brother the other day, like the fact that it took them they debuted in 2010 in a feud with the then tag champs, and it took them till 2014 to win their first tag titles. And by then, I think I'd all, I was almost starting to go off them by the time they actually won the title. So I think it's one of the things, despite them being one of the only actual tag teams, it took, they waited too long to finally pull the trigger and give them their first tag title reign. And, like, especially when they turned heel, they got, their promos were a lot better because, yeah. like you said, they were very generic as faces. They did that whole, like, like, tribal dance at the start of their entrance, which I never got. And but when they turned heel, they had more of an edge of it, and you really could actually get into their promos because they were just generic face promos when they were good guys. And that rap battle when they dropped in about Xavier Woods as well. Yes. Absolute genius. <laughs> that could have, that, you know, that could have been moment of the decade. I'm changing mine. <laughs> <laughs> how, they got, how they got that past uh, the senses and creative well, and that. You know what it is, Carl? They probably didn't. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> It was probably a case of you miss a hundred percent of the shots mm. you don't take. <laughs> Ask for forgiveness rather than permission. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> definitely. It was Wally's reaction who was hosting the rap battle. His reaction to it as well. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> even he, even he couldn't believe it. That's another one of those segments where I remember hearing the Usos the New Day were going to have a rap battle, and I was like, "Oh my god, this is going to be horrific." Yeah, I, I thought like, this I is going to be cringy as hell. <laughs> But it was genuinely great, and for a while in twenty like on twenty seventeen SmackDown, it wasn't like the Usos and the New Day the only good thing going. Like, yeah, like, yeah that pay per view battleground had the Punjabi Prison in the main event, and the good thing about it was the opening match between the Usos and the New Day, and then everybody went was in an uproar when they got moved to the pre-show or something. Yeah, like they were they were they were having the best match on the card on the pre-show, basically, weren't they? <laughs> And then this is the only good thing. You're forgetting the return of a great Carly. I mean, then they, they, they finished the feud with the New Day and Hell in a Cell. They had the match with the bar at Survivor Series and kind of the Robbie Smackdown thing. Yeah, oh, the, I mean, the bar, it's almost a shame we haven't mentioned the bar yet. Because mm. their story was great as well with Cesaro and Sheamus. So great that WWE we've kept throwing together makeshift tag team to try and replicate the success of it. Is that the Survivor Series match where um, Cesaro did his teeth in? Either no, broke him off, pushed him oh. up into his gums or something, didn't they? That was horrible. against the Shield. I, think. I do remember a spot from this match where I believe one of, I can't remember which member of the bar is laying down, but one of the Usos whose legal dies on the other member of the bar, but as he's diving, he tags the other Uso, and then he goes up to the top and hits a splash. I think that's how they won. Oh, yeah, no, I, I remember that as well. That was mint. Um, mm-hmm. I tell you what was just, well, I was ranting, waxing a little about tag teams. Um, 
and one of my favorite spots of the year was it's not a spot but like sort of just tiny little moments was it was when new day's long title reign came to an end when cesaro pretended to tag sheamus and just didn't mm-hmm. and so then like cesaro ran in and took like i think the trouble in paradise of kofi but because sheamus was still legal sheamus just broke kicked him and pinned him yeah all the it's like really clever it was like oh no he's missed him but no it was it was genius and I don't know how true it is, but I read somewhere that you said are actually brothers in real life as well. <laughs> <laughs> Shit. These are the real scoops. <laughs> yeah. Oh, fair uh, Carl? Tag team of... Okay, yeah. Tag of the decade. And it spans many promotions. I have gone for Undisputed Era, the team of... Uh, Fish and O'Reilly, also known as Red Dragon in uh, Ring of Honor and New Japan Wrestling. Uh, They've been teaming since 2012. Um, They've won titles in Ring of Honor. Uh, They've won titles in New Japan. Uh, The IWGP um, junior tag titles, I think they have. Uh, They've been three-time tag team champions in NXT as Undisputed Era. As I said before, they seem to have carved out a nice little niche um, opening pay-per-views with their red-hot tag action. Uh, they had that great match against the Revival not long ago as well. They they are just, for me, tag team wrestling at its best. Yeah, yeah. totally fair. <laughs> I mean, um, the, there's a good match. They had in Ring of Honor. You can find it. My bet was on YouTube the other week. Uh, against the Young Bucks, um, which is amazing. They've had amazing matches with um, Street Profits, uh, Authors of Pain, um, any of the teams that have come through NXT in the last two and a half, three years. They, they've they've had really good matches with. They're just outstanding in my book. And I'm so glad we got that match against the Revival because when they were taken out of the... Uh, Survivor Series triple threat match. That was like everyone's grown on. Oh, no, I mean, we're happy for the new day, but we so wanted to see Revival and uh, Undisputed Era interact, but we, but we did get it. And uh, I'd love to see them against the new day. And if the Usos ever come back, I reckon they'd have a great match with the uh, Usos as well. Uh, they are, for me, they're just, uh, you know, I love the high low. Um, I think they had a move, Kiss of the Dragon, where I think Fish would have him up in a brain, have the opponent up in a brain buster. Uh, Reddy would kick them in the back and then land the brain buster. Um, you know, they've got some great double team movements. They know how to cut the ring in half. Um, yeah, they, yeah, they're just, you know, just excellent, really. Um, yeah. I, mean, I remember being surprised when uh, O'Reilly and Strong were teaming together while Fish was out. I was surprised at how well they worked together, but. For me, like in the Undisputed Era, the main tag team is always Fish and O'Reilly because of the the history that you that you mentioned. Yeah, and even more importantly, from from my view, when they were Red Dragon and Ring of Honor, they uh, they had sort of Shayna Baszler as a sort of manager sidekick type of thing as well. Mm, I remember that she was like they called her the Queen of Dragons or something like that. Pretty awesome name. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. I guess. Yeah. They. They. I mean, 
cliche, but I guess they, you know, they're the reason they're the tag team champions and undisputed there for a reason, isn't it? You know, it's because yeah. they're that good. I just think they have so much charisma as well. You, you see the little things that um, Kyle O'Reilly, especially, he'll do off camera, the little the little faces he'll pull, and he'll do like the the guitar thing on the way to to the ring, but not like. Hogan used to do it. He does it in a sort of knowing this is a, a silly thing to do to do way kind of thing. He's very self they're both very self aware. And I used yeah. to love, also used to love the way um when Fisher just come back, everybody would have um their uh, the belt and Bobby Fish would hold on to that little um Dusty Rhodes classic trophy they won because it was only a little trophy that year, wasn't it? And he'd, mm. he'd be holding on to that with anyone, everyone else would have their titles. Yeah. Um, I think I'm interested in, like, all of Undisputed Era to me seem like wrestlers, wrestlers as well, if you know what yeah. I mean. A lot of wrestlers talk about them in a sort of an admirable sense. Mm-hmm. So, yes, that's definitely a, you know, um, It's funny you should mention the Young Bucks earlier, though, Carl, because that's who I've gone for. Again, probably a bit of a cliche answer, but I just think, like, for me, a lot of tag teams have come in and out of fashion this decade. Like, you've had like, the Revival and American Alpha and New Day and the Usos. They've all sort of phased in and out. But for me, I think the Young Bucks are one of the ones who stayed consistent throughout the decade. Mm-hmm. Uh, not that all the other ones have gone bad, just more of a victim of bad booking or injuries in certain cases. But, I mean, yeah, I, I don't really have to, again, it's probably what I don't have too much to say on, but... I also think it's pretty mad to think about how the wrestling landscape would look without the Young Bucks in it. If you think mm-hmm. about that, like, you know, they spearheaded a lot of, like, for lack of a better term, anti-WWE. But I don't mean anti as in trying to take them down. I mean anti in the sense of, like, an alternative. I guess, like, you know, getting the, the deal at Hot Topic and stuff like that. and Being yeah, the elite as well. They are great. They are great. Uh, some of the moves they do just blow your mind and some of their matches with like Lucha Brothers again yeah. all real again all real brothers I don't want to have to blow your minds here <laughs> I remember it blew my mind when I found out they, they have two other siblings as well and I don't know why it's not like they can't have more siblings but it was just like what why aren't they wrestling as well I thought they were twins when I first saw them because they're a little similar yeah. like, I didn't realize Matt's like three years two or three years older than Nick no, yeah, I, I, I'm in the same boat, Scott. I, I uh, legit thought of that as well. And it's weird to think that at the start of the decade they were Generation Me and TNA having like that great series against uh, the most famous Guns, but weren't really being used for much else. And at the end of the decade, they're helping start up their own promotion to going against WWE because these were some of the first guys like uh, when the Indies started kicking off that where they made their whole thing basically like, we're the guys who probably will never go to WWE. And you see a lot more of that now because of all these other options, but it was rare for somebody, be, people about to be like, oh yeah, we're more like indie guys, we're going to go to these companies, but we're probably never going to work for WWE. Yeah, I mean, if you, can, if you can define this decade as a slow move away from WWE being the only like main option of wrestling, They've sort of spearheaded that movement in a sense. Yeah. And Cody, of course, as well. But, but again, though. to be fair, there's, there's a reason Cody sought them out when he left, because their reputation sort of preceded them, in that yeah. sense. Because like, when you were like, seeing clips from like the Indies and all these big spots, I think in the middle of the decade, it would be clips, I think, a lot of the Young Bucks, like some of the stuff that they were doing in the places like PWG and places like that. Yeah. Started doing like the Meltzer driver. 
<laughs> Which is a fantastic name. Actually, I can't help but laugh every time I hear the Meltzer driver. Yeah. <laughs> I, uh, I mentioned this in a different podcast, but there's a Scottish setting called the Kings of Catch, who they've been compared to the Young Bucks, so instead of the Meltzer driver, they've got a move called the Aptor Burner, after Bill Aptor. Oh, right. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Some, um, some British wrestler should do like a Finn Martin one. Yeah, the Martin driver. Yeah, or just or just the finish. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so terrible puns aside, the second to last one, oh, female sorry. wrestler. Sorry, just throw it on there. Just just do just name my move after. Just called the power slam. Yeah. Yeah. Genius. Yeah. So. Second and last one. We're nearly there. If you've stuck with us this long, God bless you. Um, who do you got? Carl. We'll go with Carl. Right. This is going to be a bit controversial because I am cheating massively. I couldn't separate these. I, for female of the decade, I'm going for females of the decade. And I'm going for all four of the next NXT four horsewomen. Because in my mind, they're the girls that were well, women that took it to an, to the next level, and they're synonymous with each other. They've had their best matches against one another. Uh, you know, Charlotte, Becky, um, Bailey, and Sasha. Whatever way you want to mix them up, they've had tremendous matches with each other. All f- um, three of three of the four. Um, Unfortunately, Becky didn't get there. But we're NXT Women's Champion and all had decent reigns. Uh, they all challenged and wrestled each other while uh, for that championship or as champion. Um, unfortunately, Bailey, Bailey got left out, but three of them came up together. Bailey was a little bit be, behind because she had to catch. They needed someone to stay and carry the the company. I think I think they what Vince wanted all of all of them at the same time, but Triple H was like, "Look, if you take them all, I'm you know I'm going to be buckered down here at NXT, and and he I need someone." Is, to is that carry a direct quote? No, no, but you know, <laughs> Triple H from it's more, it, Connecticut. You know, it is more or less his art. You know, he, he, he did, uh, what from what I've read, he had to battle tooth and nail to to keep to keep one of them there, otherwise. You know, he, he wasn't going to have a women's division in his mind. Um, yeah, it's uh, as I say, then they came to they arguably had the best match on WrestleMania 32, that triple threat match. Uh, Becky, Sasha, and Charlotte, where they introduced the the new women's title, uh, doing away with the Divas yeah. Championship. Um, you know they. They, when they've been on separate brands, whoever whoever's been on the brand has been at the top of the card of Raw or SmackDown, respectively. Whether it be um, Becky, Sasha, and Bailey, or Becky and Charlotte. Um, if I had to pick, if I had to pick one out of the four, Sasha might just edge it because I, I just think technically in the ring she's slightly better than the others. Uh, a heel character as the boss on NXT, and now we're seeing again. Probably one of the best characters any of them have had. Uh, I know uh, Becky sort of even you know gone a step further and become one of the biggest stars in the business, but that's that's so recent. I feel like I can't really choose that as 
um, you know, woman of the decade, but she certainly has got the potential to grow and get even bigger um, in the next in the next decade. But yeah, that's that's my answer. The the four horse women of NXT for all those reasons. And um, well, to be honest, I'm just going to keep mine short and sweet. That's all right. I'll go for you, Scott, because uh, I was going to pick Charlotte, but for pretty much all of the reasons you've just said. So. Uh, for redundancy purposes, I'll, you know, I'm not really, other than I'll say a similar thing I said to them about um, the Usos and New Day, how for a while, remember that Charlotte uh, Sasha feud on Raw? That was like the only good thing going on Raw for a long time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I mean, yeah, for all the reasons Carl said, Carl said better than I could. Uh, the only thing I really want to add is I wish I could be saying Asuka, but. I know that would be incredibly disingenuous because she hasn't really done enough to justify that as much as it's not her fault, it's Bookin's fault. But you know, you have to give deal you have to go with what you've got. So Yeah, she was on my shortlist, but I don't watch um is it is it I always get mixed up, is it stardom she would have been on or or, or the other I think one? So, but to be fair, I was just I going know she was a big maybe. I know she was a big deal in Japan, but I've not seen that and she spent no, through no fault of her own. It's just Vince and WWE not really know what to do with her. She's spent a lot of time on the sidelines, on the main yeah. roster, unfortunately. But totally to... agree, and that's why I couldn't pick her. Yeah, really, but same here. I wish I could. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, Scott, who you got? Who you oh, got a short one, because I've also got Charlotte, because <laughs> like you look at how badly the women's division was booked when it was still called the Divas division in the first part of this decade. You look at someone like Charlotte, like it's hard not to pick her because like the way she carries herself, the way she goes in the ring, like her heel work I think it's better than any woman we've seen in a long time. And a lot of people can complain about how she's been booked and how she's always in the tail picture, but like there's a reason for it because you've got someone so naturally like talented and so naturally suited to being a heel that you can have them cosplay in that upper like title scene. Because they've always got somebody for whoever the next big baby face in the division is to chase. Yeah, I mean, I can't disagree. I mean, I might have gone with Charlotte solely if uh, she could have pulled off uh, being a baby face better, but she she can never get away from that sort of entitled thing that makes her a better heel for me. Uh, a bit like a bit like Flair. I mean, he was never a terrible baby face, but um, Rick Flair was always much much better as a as a heel and sometimes in a, in a matches, I know everybody botches and that, but I just think her timing's off a little, her timing's off a bit too much for someone who's meant to be on the upper echelons. Well, that's only a, mi- it's only a minor, it's only a minor, it's only a, it's, you know, it's, it's nitpicking really, but. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, I'm really happy. It was a, I guess, I mean, I'm sure you both agree and we did mention it earlier. I think it was, you mentioned it, uh, Scott, but, just to give a general shout out to women's wrestling this decade, how much it's come on and mm. look forward to it going on to bigger and better things in the next decade. So, yeah, definitely. Yeah. I'd, so, love women, last... I'd love an all-women's oh, show. I'd love an all-women's show, like an hour-long women's show where they can do a bit more with them. Yeah, like... Uh, you can like... make it a network special if they're worried about it not doing too well because I'm sure it would do better than 205 Live. Because they've got bigger stars in the women's division than they have on the cruiserweight division currently. Yeah, absolutely. As long as they give it a decent 
venue and not before or after SmackDown, rather. I'm sure it would do better than two mm. Live. But yeah, so I guess we're on to our last category now. We've gone for male wrestler of the year. Decade. God damn it. No one let me lead again. <laughs> we'd all be making we'd all be doing it. Trust yeah. me. You could do like a drinking game with this one. Take a shot yeah. every time I said yeah. <laughs> They'll never get halfway. That's true. <laughs> Getting your stomach pumped by bloody promo. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. Male wrestler of the decade. Uh, now, actually, I was going to say one thing I want to say there as well. I think, it's quite, is that the first time we've both picked, any of us have picked the same thing there when we all said Charlotte? Oh, it might be. Girl has NXT's promotion. Yes, excuse me. Yeah, so, Scott, do you want to give us who your male wrestler of the decade has been? My male wrestler of the decade is AJ Styles. Because... Wouldn't because, have expected that, I'm not going to lie. Yeah, no, mate, but good, great choice. Yeah, because, yeah. like, again, the things you're thinking of over the last 10 years, and, like, at the start of this decade, AJ was, like, TNA world champion. Uh, maybe slightly, like, they probably shouldn't have been trying to make him the next Ric Flair, but other than that, I think AJ is one of those guys who can just, he's natural talent or shine through, no matter what crap booking they put him in. Like, it's the guy who might see survive his career intact after the Claire Lynch storyline that TNA picked him in. I remember Which, watching that. Oh, God. If you can survive that. Because apparently Bischoff said, like, well, the reason they did stuff like that is because they, they knew AJ was a good wrestler, but they didn't know if he, if he could pull stuff off as a character, so that's why they put him in a storyline like that. But, but like, AJ is one of the guys, he's one of the, he was the standard bearer for TNA and in 2013, like, it was one of those moments you didn't think would happen. AJ leaving TNA, and that was one of those signs that people thought, like, was, okay, this is the sign that Mr. TNA's TNA done. was he? Like, he was Mr. TNA. He was the guy you thought of when you thought TNA, at least for me, anyway. Yeah, yeah. no, definitely. But in the first three years of this decade, he was he had two reigns of as TNA champion in this decade. He had a reigns tight champ. He was TV champ. Won the Bound for Glory series, and then he left because TNA. Basically, they fucked up and let him go. And then he went to Japan. He joined the Bullet Club. He had two reigns as IWGP heavyweight champion. He had that match of the year candidate against Shinsuke in both men's last match is uh, for the for New Japan for the Intercontinental title before they got sent to WWE. He comes to WWE. He has great matches with Roman. He has great matches with Dean Ambrose, with Shane McMahon, with John Cena. Yeah, some of these matches with like Mimi Nakamura and Owens didn't live up to expectation, but like AJ Styles is one of those guys like him on his best day is still twice as no him on his worst day is twice as good still as some people on their best. Yeah. I, I still think that since the Nakamura match at WrestleMania gets undue criticism. I know we're expecting maybe some a lot faster paced, um and our expectations were so high, that's perhaps why it it fell so flat, but I've rewatched it back a few times, and it, it's it's a it's a good match. It really is. I think it gets unfair criticism, perhaps because people's expectations were so high. And didn't yeah. he win? Didn't he win the IWPG Championship in his first match? Yeah, is that correct? I mean, how, I mean, who books that? Who books that? Yeah, I mean, it was just amazing. He debuted the same show that Finn Balor left. 
New Japan, so basically he was taking over his mm. position as leader of the group. And by the age he's also in his like mid forties, I think, and he can still go at the level. Like About forty-three, I think he is. You know, I mean, I think that can kind of be attributed maybe some of the stuff, like some matches that he has with like Owen or Nakamura, not or not tonight because he can't go at that same pace. I don't think anymore, but he can still go with the current crop of guys in an era where the work rate is for a lot of people is everything. Yeah, I also thought his match with Brock at Survivor Series was excellent. Probably yeah, that was a great... gave Brock his best yeah. match in ages, didn't he? Mm-hmm. But I was yeah, worried but... because of, like the first five minutes, Brock was literally just ragdolling AJ, and I thought, oh god, it's just going to be a, a complete destruction. But it was booked so well because when AJ started, you know, getting back into the match, it was almost a surprise in a sense, and you you really started rallying behind him more than ever. Yeah, you can um, you can tell Vince thinks a lot of him as well, which is weird to say, just because he was Mister TNA for so long. But like there have been a I mean, I don't, I don't know for a couple of times, but if you remember that time everyone got, was it meningitis? And he, yeah. uh, he put AJ in that match with Finn instead of Bala, I think, in a sense. like I think Vince sees him as someone reliable and someone who he can depend on. And I forgot about how good that match was because people talked about it, the two leaders of Bill Club who apparently had never had a match against each other because, like I said, he, Finn left as AJ came in. So... It was basically this rare first time ever in, in this era when people are fighting each other like every other week to a point where nobody wants to see their, them fight each other again. Like, yeah. it's rare to have an actual first time ever in WWE. And he was yeah. given the honour of being the first uh, wrestler to officially win the title outside of North America as well, which is not to be sniffed at. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. Again, again, he also given the honour of ending Jinder Mahal's title reign. And is there is there any greater honour? <laughs> and yeah, he held it for well over a year as well, which you know doesn't happen too often in this day and age, to be fair, especially but, on main roster. Yeah. But no, I, I good pick that one. So I'm yeah. not gonna lie. I think because yeah. because maybe this past year and a bit he's been relatively quiet. I wouldn't have necessarily thought of that, but yeah, pretty good pick. Mm-hmm. Now. Kind of mean you pick the same one. Go on, you go, you go, you go first. Go on, I'd, I'd be surprised if we have, but go on, you go. I've gone for Daniel Bryan. No, we haven't. All right, so you go with yours, and I'll, I'll drop mine in. Yeah, I've gone for Daniel Bryan just on the ground of that. I, I think he's been just <laughs> obviously, I think he's been great all decade. Why I picked him, but I think when you look at where he started. You know, he came in with Nexus and got the sack, <laughs> which ironically was probably really helpful for his career because it got him out of Nexus before it tanked. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, he's he great. He had the run because he came in with Nexus. He had the he's had a, he had a long you know a long term book and feud with Miz, which is something that you know WWE don't necessarily do a lot these days where they acknowledge the continuity of Miz and Daniel Bryan don't get along and they've never gotten along since Miz's days of coaching them in original game show NXT. He had, of course, it's already been talked about the moment at WrestleMania. And then even even when he had to retire uh, for like two years, he was still great as the GM in SmackDown. And, um, yeah, he really was. Smack, like him and, him and Renee made that show. Like it elevated so many people. 
Uh, and then when he came back, it was to a monstrous reaction, as of course it would be. It was such a good feeling, though. I mean, I, I, I've always liked Daniel Bryan, but I wouldn't say I'm his biggest fan. But even, you know, even I got overwhelmed um, when, you know, because I thought he'd never wrestle again. So, yeah. you know, it was it's amazing. Nice it was nice to see a good guy get something he deserved, basically, wasn't it? Like, it was a sort of nice moment to see. And then he, of course, surprised everyone when he turned heel, which no one thought WWE would really do, turned Daniel Bryan heel. And everyone thought it was a bad idea, myself included, I'm not going to lie. And then he had a fantastic um, run with him and, like, Eric Rowan when he was the, like, nature warrior guy. Mm. <laughs> and he, like, had the recyclable WWE title, which was actually looked brilliant. But, yeah, I mean, he's yeah, also... Yeah, yeah, that was... That was brilliant. Oh, it looked cheap, but it was more expensive than the normal one on yeah. the WWE Sharp. <laughs> Not quite the six grand that the Fiend's title is, but... Yeah. He also... I mean, is it fair to say he's probably a good deal responsible for stepping up the work rate in uh, WWE's main event scene as well? I'm not going to say that's solely him, but like him and Punk having some matches mm. for the WWE title around sort of 2012-ish, I think it would have been. Uh, I think is like I'm again I'm not gonna say it's the only example of it, but I think that was one of the earlier ones of where, you know, they had a quite a Ring of Honor style match. And it it kind of had a big influence, I think anyway. I think it's like these are a mixture of kind of the day two and plus the influx of indie guys coming through NXT, like your guys like Seth Rollins and I think that's partly to do with it as well. Yeah. Hundred percent. Um, and if I could tell a personal story about Daniel Bryan, uh, when yeah. he first debuted and had like the United States title feud with Miz, that admittedly it wasn't bad, but it wasn't lighting the world on fire. You know what I mean? Um, I really liked him for whatever reason. I can't really tell you why. I just did. I just clicked with him. And I had a friend in school who hated him, who couldn't stand him for whatever reason. He just thought he was as bland as anything. And then when he later went on to win the title at WrestleMania, one of the greatest moments ever I had just the biggest smug look on my face to that guy <laughs> so yeah he's responsible for me being able to get one over on a friend so thanks for that Daniel Bryan if nothing else <laughs> yeah, yeah as well as being a, he's, he's just everything a wrestler should be I think yeah. he's great on the mic he's a great character and he's also a fantastic in-ring performer I don't think he gets much better than Daniel Bryan he's having an interesting story now uh, with the Bray White and the Fiend which looks like they're holding off till uh, Royal Rumble now. Well, I think that's probably why Miz has been in, inserted in there for the time being. Yeah. Hey, can I ask a quick, almost a quick tangent? I haven't seen Brian's match against the Fiend. Was it good? It's hard to good. watch because it's uh, in that stupid red light. But oh yeah, it was it was good. But yeah, I from just what can't I heard, bear, bear that red light. From what I heard, which was I thought was a brilliant. It seems so simple. But it's a brilliant way to do it is where when Rollins, because Rollins couldn't beat the Fiend with his best moves, rather than trying to beat him down, Brian just tried to pin him. Like he just tried mm-hmm. to pin him with the match for three seconds because that's all you have to do to win a wrestling match. You don't necessarily have to beat the shit out of the guy. You just have to put the shoulders to the map for three seconds. So as weird as that sounds, I'd quite like to watch it just on those grounds. But yeah, maybe not with the red light. <laughs> yeah. So all yeah, right. that's my pick. Unless you guys have got anything else to add on Daniel Bryan. No, because no, I've covered a lot with my moments and stories. Yeah. So totally fair. Yeah, I think we've talked a lot with Brian this podcast. Yeah, and deservedly so. So my my pick. Um, I'm going to butcher the name a bit. I'm afraid, but 
Kikuchi Okada is uh, my pick for the rest of the decade. Um, I just think he's been outstanding. I know he's he's only been in New Japan, so a lot of people might not have seen him, but you need to go and seek his matches out. He's he's brilliant. He was butchered by TNA. Um, they didn't know what to do with him, so he, he came back in 2012 to New Japan, dyed his hair blonde, adopted the Rainmaker gimmick, and he's never looked back since. He's been synonymous with the IWPG heavyweight title. He's, I think, five reigns, his fourth reign, the longest in history at 720 days. He's had That's those, insane. He's had those, um, not mic up a tea matches, but matches that Meltzer and a lot of people rave about with uh, Kenny Omega. He's had great feuds with the likes of um, Hiroshi Tanahashi. He was uh, almost like Passion of the Torch matches where Tanahashi was the ace of the division and uh, now it's Okada. He's, uh, he's been in a great storyline with um, Switchblade, Jay White. Um, he's, a terrific, he's a terrific heel, by the way. Yes, he he's is. won the G one. Um, you know, he, he yellow. It's not just he's, he's charismatic. You know, he, he's he's deceptively tall. I think he's about six foot four. Um, yeah, it, when you see him stood next to someone else, it is like Jesus Christ. Is, he's actually got quite high. It's exceptionally tall. Um, you know, a Japanese uh, male as well. Um, he's. Um, you know, he has a he has a bit to elevate everybody. I mean, I watched a match in the G, just a, a standard G one match against Sonada, which Sonada won. Um, it was just so well put together. Um, I think Sonada went had him in the his um, oh, was it the skull end, and then he released it, went to do a splash and miss, and you thought, oh no, he had a card where he wanted him, and he's he's just blown it, but he, he did end up he did end up winning in the end. He's um, He's got um, he's got a, a lariat over as a, as the top finisher in the in the promotion, the rainmaker. Uh, yeah, some of my favourite Okada. Like I think it would be weird if one of us didn't either say Okada or Omega for male wrestler. So I think we might be able to quell any of the anger from people online. But somebody pointed this out to me, like the fact that Okada does a spinning jumping tombstone. As a setup yes. for a clothesline finisher, doesn't seem a bit weird. <laughs> and it works, I guess. It is the weird thing, though. Everyone just accepts it. It dates back to Stan Hansen using it when uh, when he was in the promotion back in the day. Uh, he got it over as a, a killer move because he yes. was he was pretty stiff with it as well. By uh, it was by all accounts, it was credited as breaking Bruno's neck. That's not what did it, but that's mm. what got the move over big time. Was when they. They gave it the credit of Rick Bruno's neck. Um, yeah, kind of slam that did it, wasn't it? He also had that. Yes, little... yes it was. Sorry, he God. also Excuse had me. that little thing I enjoyed uh, after he lost the uh, IWBG title um, to Kenny Omega, where he he started wearing long tights rather than his trademark shorts. He he dyed his hair red and um, carried balloons, and he went on a little bit of a. Uh, a bit of a, a losing streak until he found his footing again in in, uh, in the G1. So that was a, ni- a nice little story. Like almost he got so synonymous with the belt, he had it so long that he didn't he didn't really he did almost like he didn't know what to do with himself when he when he lost it. But 
again, as all aces do in uh, Japan, he, he eventually won the title back. And it looks like he's going to have a terrific match with uh, Koto Ibushi at Wrestle Kingdom. But yeah, uh, you know, he's been at the top of the card for eight, you know, for eight years basically. Uh, he's, he's charismatic. He's He's got a good physique. He's good looking. He's everything you want from a wrestler, really. And he's super talented. It's one of those things, Will, kind of that seems weird that had he came back to New Japan and almost immediately was the champion, I think the only title, weirdly, he's actually ever held is this, is the IWGP heavyweight title. So it's one of those things, the whole, they're doing this whole dual champion thing. It seems like a bit sad that the fact that if we make Okada go after like the IC title, it'll see like a, it'll feel like a downgrade by comparison because they've heavily put him in the IWGP title scene for so long. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if he'd ever leave New Japan, but I'd, I'd just love to, I'd love to see him maybe because some uh, AEW talent's going to be at Wrestle Kingdom, whether he could show up on an uh, all elite wrestling card at some juncture. I mean, you know, I'd love to see him get a chance, more of a chance in the America. He was at All In, wasn't he? Was it Mar- Marty Squirrel he wrestled at All In? Yes. Um, am I right? That was a, yeah, a really good uh, match. Yeah, exactly. He, you know, he, he can elevate anyone. He's, um, he is one of the best in the business. Yep. Gold ring for a reason. Mm. Everything he touches turns to gold, doesn't so. <laughs> it? Uh, I remember when he looked at that match with Marty, he kept doing the whole 205. Yeah, oh, yeah. Yeah. Maybe he can go to 205. <laughs> yes, yeah, that's the thing about Okada. I don't know, like, people have this mindset of him, I think, of being a wrestler, of just being, like, a great wrestler, if you know what I mean. But he is, he's, he's, got, he's very charismatic as well. Yeah, great. Like, In his own language, he's a great talker. Because uh, uh, us English-speaking people tend to be a bit ignorant about people who can't speak English. We tend to yes. over, overlook things like that. Yeah, I remember he took the fifth or something. I can't remember who it was, but it was a guy, junior wrestler, maybe in Feral Deva, even when he was in New Japan. But he like, he was just running down Okada because it's in how he's going to beat him for the title. Okada in Japanese, he said, "I don't understand what you're saying." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's brilliant. <laughs> yeah. No, he's he's great. He's fantastic. I think the, I think all three of those were really good picks. If I do, if I do still blow smoke up our asses a little bit, <laughs> I think we had three solid three solid options there. Yeah. Has Okada ever wrestled Brian? Has that ever? Uh, you, I don't that think. Ever, so. Obviously, he's wrestled uh, Styles, but right, Okada was still coming up as a young line or something like that when Brian left. So yeah, James, that's if, about. If he has, if he so has wrestled I'll probably Brian, never see been. now because I think Brian's. On about retiring again, isn't he? When his contract winds down. Yeah, it's, it's strange that because for for how much he wanted to come back. But yeah, I guess he just thinks. Do you think he'll do like part time, maybe the occasional match? Maybe. But I yeah. think Cole had never wrestled him until that match on SmackDown by by all accounts. <laughs> yeah, well, actually, isn't it? I mean, Brian and AJ are set to retire around the same time, aren't they? If if mm. what they've said in the past is believed to be um. It's not believed to be true, but if it's what they stick to, major major losses for the for WWE that are based and them to go in close proximity. Yep. Absolutely. And with that, unless there's anything else to add, I think we've finally reached the end of our wrestlers of the decade podcast. 
Yeah, yeah. A lot longer than I thought it would be. I think it's, <laughs> come out, it's come out reasonable considering what we've had to cover with the three of us. I, I think it's two and, a, two and almost two and almost half hours. It's pretty reasonable, to be fair. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, I enjoy listening to a long podcast, so hopefully other people do as well. <laughs> yeah, it's very about two, 10 years and two hours. Yeah. <laughs> Good going, yeah. that is, when you put it like that. <laughs> I should ask as well, um, is, is the Wrestlers of the Year one still happening? Is the Wrestling of the Year one still happening? I know that had got a conversation where that had been floated. It wouldn't be with us. It was going to be a different set of people, I think. But I could probably make that Not too sure. Up. Not too sure, but it's worth looking out for just, just in case that does, yeah. uh, does happen. And there's plenty of other group podcasts on there to keep you going until then. Yeah, make sure you keep up with our uh, back catalogue at Rogue Opinions and check us out on Twitter and Instagram, both at rogue underscore opinion. Yeah, and we, uh, me, Jimmy, and Nathan have recorded, I don't know if they'll be before or after this, but we've recorded uh, one or two Christmas-related podcasts that will hopefully be up soon. There's one that Nathan just put up as we started this podcast. I'm not too sure what that what that one is. Yeah, I think it's just... Some sort of random, random discussions or something. Yeah. About you and Jimmy, is it? Well, that would work for Cool. Always worth a listen. Yeah. And if you're one of the four people who listens to Doctor Who, hopefully <laughs> um, that'll be back at some point. Be back <laughs> it's probably, uh, probably next week, I'd imagine. All right. Might be, yeah. Might. We shall I'll see. We shall I mean, see. I mean, this is the right timing. It's nearly Christmas. Doctor Who always has a Christmas episode. <laughs> We've already done yeah, the yeah, Christmas true. one, though. <laughs> true. And but, yeah, we can find me at Carl, uh, unders- Carl, that's underscore fire89 on Twitter and Instagram. If you want to seek seek me out and tell me how wrong I am with my pet. And if you want to, t- if you want to tell, tell Carl how wrong I was, and he can just <laughs> tell me. He can pass it on. <laughs> right, and with that, see you later. Bye. All right.